Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I am Dungeon Master Chris. And today, it is the moment you have been waiting for, especially since last week. We are back with our Creation Inspiration episode part two. And we are here with Top Tens. And Luander, once again, is here to join us with his own Top Tens. And we've got a lot of great, I think, ideas coming up in this episode. And just some great discussion on our own ideas. Because as always, Chris, we never heard of our ideas until we actually revealed them. And I think for the first time... That actually was a little bit to our detriment, right? <laughs> that actually happened. I, for my number seven, I stole Lou's number six. Yeah, you. you yeah, How yeah. You? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lou's such a nice guy. I felt bad when I said, "Hey," or when he was like, "Hey, you stole my idea." I was like, "Right." Dang it. Like, that stinks. Uh, but yeah, so that that and more to come in our top tens. Before we jump into our top tens, though, we have, as always, some five star reviews to read so our first one comes from mkp turtle and is entitled amazing i'm just starting to dm and this podcast is the most helpful resource for me these guys are amazing keep on going guys thank you so much mkp turtle i like turtles i, li- I was thinking the same thing i was like i like turtles <laughs> oh that video is so uh, you're a cute right. zombie <laughs> thank you so much turtle appreciate it uh our next one is from kissed and they write great dming tool I am currently working on finishing up my homebrew and starting to type it into a campaign setting book for a Roll20 game. These podcasts are great to listen to while I work on my setting. They are giving me ideas all over the place, and this particular game is looking to be the best one I have ever run. Keep up the good work, and thanks a million for the inspiration. Hey, that's what we're here to do. That's That's why we decided to start this podcast, was we may not know it all, but we're just helping you to discover and create the best worlds that you can possibly create. So. And we've, just from having connection with our listeners, I think, Chris, you and me can both say we've gained so much inspiration oh, from, yeah. uh, like, whenever we get feedback from them, whether it's emails, whether it's on the forums. Like, uh, it's not just us. The, the stuff that you guys write to us about and tell us about, you guys inspire us too. So thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Our next one comes from Ghoul's Bite, and it is entitled DMB is A-OK. And Ghoul's Bite writes, So having been a player since the 80s and a DM since the 90s, as well as a podcast host as well, Brainstorm Podcast, I have found a wonderful resource in the Dungeon Master's Block. You guys are just a couple of fellas who love the game and it shows. I've been a particular fan of the bringing magic to D&D episodes. It's also revived my interest in Magic the Gathering as well. That'll suck all your money dry. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought of it as such a great idea resource. Keep up the good work lads and i'm not gonna read that last part dc is blasting. greater than marvel no Smiley stop face. don't read it it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> thank you ghouls bite for everything except for that last blasphemous part <laughs> oh gosh all right our last one for today comes from gorilla nerd it says inspired exclamation point i'm a new dm and after inadvertently tpking my group in uh the horde of the dragon queen campaign i decided to build my own campaign how convenient uh, I'm only one episode in, but I've already gained knowledge and inspiration that will vastly improve my campaign. 
Keep it up, guys! Exclamation point. Hey, if it's a total party kill that got you interested in creating yeah, your man. own world, well done, Tiamat, for <laughs> opening up that can of worms. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, oh, thanks, yeah. thanks, Gorilla Nerd, for that five-star review. And I hope you have fun creating your own campaign. It can, it can be a lot of work, uh, but it is well worth the work that you put in for it. The destruction of all of his players led to the creation of an entire world. I think that's a good trade. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. I could see that. <laughs> well, with that. Let's head to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns. Our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. So, Chris, for story time this week, we played my campaign again. And so you guys in the previous story time about my campaign, you guys uh, were setting sail on this voyage on the unending sea to see possibly is there an end to the unending sea? Is there lands past the unending sea? Is the world, which is such a weird theory to most people in my world, is the world round? Like, does it connect? That's strange. Like... Or do you guys just simply fall off an edge? Like, what's what will actually happen? And so you guys were able to finally set sail, even though some priests of Procon, some Tide Wardens, and some angry mob and a one particular member of the Council of Trekka were against it and kind of tried to stop you from mm-hmm. leaving. You guys were able to set out. And you guys finally with are Stephen Creel. Don't forget with that. Stephen Creel, the acolyte of Procon, he'll come in. Yep. And you yep. guys finally set sail, and you're now traveling. I don't think you've quite made it to the unending sea. You're still in the the sea known as the Roaming Waters that around Trekka and a bunch of the lands there. But you guys are sailing to the unending sea. So so tell us a little bit about what happened. Uh, while you were on the water this time. Yeah, so we kind of just, I mean, we got to know the ship a little bit. Like, we found out, like, where each of us was stationed. Like, we kind of, like, obviously we would have known before, but it was the first time that we were ever introduced to, like, where we're officially stationed. And so Cedric went down to his, you know, area that he kind of tinkers around with, and, you know, he went to his engine area. I think Casey's character, Duradin, kind of just hung out in the crow's fort, or the crow's nest area, and Stephen Creel, man, he was just hanging out <laughs> with me because for some reason he has a strange, like, man crush on me or something. Yeah, he loves you. Yep. And so I I tried so hard, so stinking hard to, like, pawn him off on somebody else. So I was like, hey, Stephen, <laughs> you should totally go see what Cedric's up to. I'm sure he would love to get to know you. And so he kind of went and went to go find Cedric, and uh, Cedric was having none of that. (laughs) Cedric was not happy with it. Yeah, you got this. Cedric just wants to be left alone in his engine room. (laughs) And that's kind of why I did it. I was like, I know that, like, Cedric will have fun with this. Uh, Not really. But so Steven goes down. He's like, oh, hey, Cedric. And I was just like, oh, I'm so glad he's not talking to me right now. I'm so (laughs) glad he's talking to Cedric. 
Uh, and so, well, Cedric was working on the engines to the ship at the time, and he was working on something that he had like beads of sweat coming down when he was alone because he's like, if I mess up with this specific thing that he's like trying to fix, like it could blow up the entire ship. Like this thing is like he was working on something that was highly like dangerous at the time. And then of course you sent Steven in, and he's like, oh, can I help touch? Like, <laughs> and it was just like. He ended up like kicking him out and like yelling at him and like he, locking the door. He made a sign that says nobody else is welcome, especially Se- or, yeah. uh, Stephen Creel. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, like, like Martin- do not enter, especially yeah. <laughs> Stephen Creel. Yeah. And so then I think he came back and I tried to pawn him off on uh, my brother's character. And then I told him to like go get food and things like that. Like, it was just a fun little time. Like, to like we, I seriously was hoping to never see Cedric again. <laughs> and, like, throughout the course of, like, this night, like, Sanjen eventually kind of – I don't know if he likes him. You kind of I think he just kind of, like – step up and be kind. It's, it's the side of him that's, like, every life is precious. He has yep. to give this kid a chance. And so he, like, goes through, like – he goes to, like, great lengths to protect this kid uh, through but some why things did you that happen. Yeah, why did you have to protect the kid? Let's let, – yeah, let's get into – some troubles started to happen, basically. Yeah, so, like, the first thing that ended up happening was uh, we were standing in line for food, and, like, we weren't the first people to go. And then all of a sudden, like, people just started, like, vomiting and getting sick. And, like, I don't know if they were, like, shaking profusely or what, but, it, I mean, it was just – it was weird. Like, like, we all had the same food. Uh, and you just noticed that, like, gradually more and more people started getting sick. Uh, and we noticed that it was the people that first started eating the food. And so we were like, all right, everybody stop eating whatever nasty Matrix porridge stuff it is that we're eating. Especially because I think three members of the crew died. Like, yeah, well, they yeah. Started they started convulsing up, and, like, yep. foaming at the mouth. And then, th- like, you guys were able to save a couple, but a couple of them died of this. Yeah, yeah. And so, like... We had already we had we had already gone through this trouble with the tide wardens of Procon earlier in the city. And because Steven was there as an acolyte who's dumber than a box of rocks, like he <laughs> I don't think he even knows what poison is. Like I don't think he knows a lot of things actually. And he got blamed for it because it's like he's I mean, he is the logical choice in this matter, right? Like somebody does oh, yeah. something, like the tide wardens of Procon just had this big rally to try and get you to stop hey there's an acolyte of procon on here that's been on here and now people are getting sick well what do you think is gonna happen And even though he was an acolyte of procon as soon as he got on the ship (laughs) he became a little cocky and started telling everybody that he was a tide warden warden. (laughs) yeah so it's like dude you're an idiot like just stop and so zillison the carneth played by jp came in and like arrested him and like they were they were jerks. Like they, they hardcore beat the crap out of this kid. Like this kid can't. I mean, he's he's a little dude. Like he can't compete against a Carneth and the Carneth's big, like burly, you know, men that are gonna yep. carry him off. Oh, and nah. so, yeah. like Sanjen was just he was so like he was so mad about this, right? Because it's like we all know that he's not capable of doing something like this. Like there is not an evil ounce in his body. He's just naive, right? And they just kick the crap i was so mad like yeah and so like you you basically you guys went before the captain with this problem yep and the captain had sanjen brought up from they threw him into the brig and then locked him up and he you you had gone to see him there and saw that he was 
like bruised and like he had like scrapes on him and he was like bleeding and mm-hmm. uh and so the captain brought him up and you're like yelling at Zillosen and being like you got to keep your men in line like he wasn't bruised yesterday like it it wasn't something that just happened from falling like because i think that's what they said like oh he tripped like, yeah he he fell <laughs> tripped or fell. tripped down the stairs um, or whatever which it's like clear that it wasn't that and so you and the you and Zillison are like fighting in front of the captain. And so what ended up happening? We basically proved his innocence. Basically, he got beat up because he went around the food to try and purify the food. And so, like we, I said to him, I was like, "Dude, well, you know how to. You, I mean, you know how to purify food. Go and help out with that, right?" And this was not an attempt by me. To no, not at all. Get rid of him. Uh, but he started sneaking around the food, and they just kind of assumed, hey. He's the guy. He's back to poison. He's it. back to poison it again. He's back to poison more food. And so he got thrown in the brig uh, because of that. And basically, I mean, we went like we I did this whole thing in front of Zillison and his stupid lackeys where it was like, hey, he can purify this food. He's not stupid. Right. And even then, like I was like, I don't even know if he knows high enough spells to be able to do this. And I think he was like really <laughs> shaky about whether or not he could do it. Right. Um, and so he ended up purifying the food like he went and and helped out with it he even tried it afterwards to prove that he could do it and sure enough like he could he totally purified the food and it was fine and yet they still wouldn't let him go so then we went to the captain uh and i like i we basically shared this whole story with him and the captain ended up saying like hey listen i was there i met steven like i know he's not capable Mm -hmm. of doing this but for his own safety we have to keep him in the brig until this is all settled and we really find out where it's coming from. Because, we, I mean, how do you explain that to a mob when they don't have proof that it's really not him other than, you know, purifying the food? Like, they'll still kick the crap out of him. Yeah, and, th- I mean, three of the crew members died. Yeah, they'll still kick the crap out of him no matter what. So it was like, all right, I guess I can get behind that. And so we went and explained it to Steven. And at this point, Steven is kind of like... He's with us for the long haul, man. Like he's not. I, I mean, mean, there's there's no leaving now. <laughs> no, right? Unless he dies or something. But even then, like it would be really hard uh, because we have this connection with him now. Uh, and so, like Sanjen ended up staying with him because he didn't. He wanted to make sure that the stupid lackeys didn't end up beating the crap out of him again. Uh, and so they're really starting to make like this connection that I really, oh. I really didn't want this connection to last. <laughs> really didn't want it to last. But for some reason, he's not going away. And so that was the first thing. The first thing of many things that happened. So Steven gets thrown in the brig again. Like, yep. he's not happy about it. You're not really happy about it, but you... I understand. You listen to your captain, and you understand. And so you kind of pull him aside, and you're just like, this is how it's got to be. And you're like, and I will take watch over you and mm-hmm. i'll keep i'll make sure that you don't get beat up again and the captain said to the guys like if if this guy comes up with more bruises and more scratches and more like if he starts getting beat up again like i'm going to personally see that you zealousen and the rest of your guards are punished for it. right um right. so they've had a threat you know against them if they if they harm him at all and so uh, he gets thrown back in the bridge. You kind of spend uh, half your time like doing your duties, half the time sleeping wi- there with Stephen. Stephen's annoying as always. Meditating. Still talks to Elves you. Don't yep. sleep. Yep. <laughs> Trying to meditate so that he's not. Uh, <laughs> I so think at one point in time you. I ended up going around the corner, so I was yep. like still there, but I and he's couldn't. Just like, like, he's out like, of sight, out of mind. Are you still there? <laughs> I just didn't say anything. But 
Steven was locked in the brig, but stuff kept happening, like yes. you said. At one point in time, like I'm in charge of inventory and stuff, so I'm I'm taking inventory and I notice that things are starting to go missing. Like, yep. Also, Cedric noticed that some things went missing from his area too, like some wrenches and things like that were gone, which he kind of needs to make sure that the boat doesn't explode. Yeah, he was pretty pissed. <laughs> yeah, so so some some tools of his went missing. We had some think they were like tiny daggers that went missing we had some food go missing some of the other crew members even had like some of the scimitars that they were carrying started yeah going you guys missing. were trying to like keep this under wraps like mm-hmm. quiet because you're like we need to figure out who's doing this like amongst the crew and not like we don't want them to know that we know that things are going missing right so right. so you guys walked in, you heard all this fighting going on, and the quarters for, like, the crew members, there's, like, people who are, like, fighting, and there's this big circle around, basically, they're, like, the schoolyard fight. Yeah, right. And one fight, of the crew fight, members fight, is, fight, yeah, fight. exactly. Yeah. And one of the crew members is accusing another crew member of stealing his scimitar, because it, like, and so you guys, you guys are like, all right, well, cats out of the bag, things are getting stolen, they're, like... The crew's aware of this now, mm-hmm. and so you made all the crew members leave, go to the mess hall, and you searched the entire crew members' quarters. Yep, yep, and we didn't find anything, which I was like, wow, they must be really good at hiding things if it's one of the yeah. crew members, uh, or they have some secret stash somewhere that we're not aware of within the ship. And so we decided that the only way to really get to the bottom of this was to set guards outside of the rooms where things had gone missing and so uh we worked together with zillicent and we set up like i mean we had a whole system like if you went into a room you had to sign in you had to sign out at what time you came out like with what items you had grabbed and stuff and then we would do inventory like after people went in and out uh, to make sure that what they took was all they took and Every once in a while, like inside the inventory area, like there was a guard outside. Nobody would go in and out through the night, and things would still go missing. At least the guards would say that right. nobody, nobody went, went in and, and out. out. Yeah. And so it was just like, what the heck? Like, why are things missing? And so, like, we searched the guards and we searched the guards' quarters and things like that because I was like, something is happening, and we're not. Somebody's, somebody's doing, doing this, this, and yeah. we don't know how or why or when it's happening. And so we noticed that, like, the window could be opened and people could come in from the outside so we came up with this whole contraption to put bars over the windows on the inside so people couldn't come in and out uh, i mean we had this whole like system down and so things wouldn't happen for a while for a couple nights and something else happened to the actual ship so things are going missing food has been poisoned and then during the middle of the night cedric was sleeping in his quarters mm-hmm. and what happened yeah we're all like i mean we're all pretty much out right i mean i'm meditating yeah. like everybody else is pretty much like sleeping because uh, that's what you do in the middle of the night and it was like all of a sudden there was this lot like boom this loud explosion and cedric wakes up and there's like water pouring into his room like he looked around and he's like what the heck what what in the world happened somebody had pointed one of the cannons down at the deck, like specifically at the engines, like they were trying to sabotage what was going on or something or, tr- or kill Cedric or whatever to try and stop the boat from like moving and blew a hole through the deck, blew a hole through the floor. And there's like water pouring into this area where Cedric is at. And so I had, I had Cedric, like he got up and he started to like try and mend the ship, but he like, I had him roll a perception check to see if he could see 
anything from who shot the cannon and he completely botched it yeah but then like everybody's running to help and they open the door to cedric's engine room and water pours out and you see cedric there soaked from head to toe like he's a gnome so like it started to build up and he was like almost swimming in this but he's fixed it and now you guys are like okay like things have escalated at this point because not only is stuff missing not only was the food poisoned but now it's under watch so you guys are like okay it's not being poisoned anymore but now like okay it was already bad enough when three crew members died from being poisoned but now somebody is trying to sabotage the ship and you guys weren't sure if they were just trying to sink the ship or maybe shoot the engines but things have escalated and so you guys are like we need to figure Mm -hmm. out what is going on before something else happens and then one day we found half eaten things somebody one of the crew members came to you and it was like he showed you he's like i found this in the supply room and it's like this half-eaten onion and this like apple core and like there's food that has like is just on the ground and so i was like all right we got to go. They got to go and find what's going on in this room. And so we took a bunch of people down there. I think it was pretty much all of us went down into that room and we started searching and we searched and we searched and we searched. And then we found a box and inside of the box was one of the most hated, vile, <laughs> despicable creatures in the world of Atos. Yep. It was it was a, a noggle. noggle. Yep. Yep. There was a noggle inside of there. A noggle stowaway. A noggle stowaway. And he was like calling me like knife e- or po- was it pointy ears or knife ears? Knife, knife ears. ears which, yep, is like, which is a very derogatory yeah, word for which elves. Sanjen, that's probably been uh, the closest world. that he's ever come to like intentionally killing somebody. <laughs> it, the funny part is even with the noggles, like the most hated creatures, he still thinks life is valuable. Like he will not yeah. kill but he, but that noggle was pushing oh, you yeah, to your limit like, because, oh. like, he's calling you knife ears he's and like he's stupid. Like, like I've been searching. You, you guys have him caught. Yeah, like he is a he's full on noggle. He's calling you stupid. He's calling you knife ears. He's laughing because you're like I've I've gone through the inventory in this room and you realize the reason why things were kept missing and nobody was catching people was because this noggle was stealing things from inside the room like he had like the daggers on him and uh, he didn't have everything on him but he was like making fun of you saying like you were like going through inventory and he was like creeping from behind you like going from crate to crate just like saying you were dumb and you couldn't like spot him and like he was right under your nose the whole time but yeah while he's caught while he's in danger (laughs) and And, like, you guys question him, and, like, he and possibly somebody else was the one who poisoned Mm -hmm. the food. Because you guys questioned him, and, yeah, he he came out, and you zoned of truth him. He was the one that poisoned the food. Yeah, we found empty vials on him. He's still making fun of you, and he's calling you names, and he's basically saying that you, like, asked him where his stuff was, and he pointed to, like, everything in the room. He's like, this is all my stuff. Like, because Noggles think that everything is theirs. Oh, yeah, so we, we were figuring out, like... Was anybody else on the ship? Were there more of him, you know, that were on the ship? And we had, like, communicated back and forth with the other ships. And we found out that they were being poisoned, too. So it was like, okay, we let them know that, like, hey, we found a noggle on the ship. There might be more. Like, start searching for your stuff. Which is really funny that there were noggles on the noggles' demise. Which is just super funny yeah, there to was me. none noggle on the noggles' demise. And they didn't have a right. trial. They just right. slid its throat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they <laughs> slid his throat, threw him overboard. Like, they just would have none of it. Uh, and so we questioned him and found out that there were... There was one on the noggles' demise. There was two on the sea chariot, I believe. 
and then there yep. was three on the wet the wet lash the wet yeah. lash <laughs> did we ask him to tell us where they were i think you did and i think he he I'm actually pretty sure he's like know, i have because, no idea he where didn't they know because the reason food started appearing was because you guys had found out that a the latch on the window had mm-hmm. been opened uh, and so he was in this room, sneaking out of this room, coming back into this room. And so eventually you guys were like, oh, somebody's sneaking into this room from the outside. Right. So you made to sure to seal all the windows yep. completely, like you barred them up, making it so you thought you were keeping people out, but you were actually we keeping, were keeping the snuggle, snuggle in. in yeah. <laughs> like you locked him in his, in the room. So he was like going through the rations that he had stolen, but he had not, he couldn't like throw them out the window or anything. He couldn't yeah. dispose of them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Now we're basically like we don't know if he was the one that blew the hole in the ship or not. Uh, yep. We're not sure if that was him, but we know that there's two other Noggles. And I had this thought in my head. I was like, gosh, I really hope this doesn't turn into, you know, that old movie was it Mouse Hunt where they like destroy <laughs> yes. the whole house. I was like, gosh, I really hope that that does not happen to the wet, the wet lash. Uh, that would suck lash. so bad. <laughs> Mousetrap. Uh, that's a great. Yeah. That's a great idea, nope, Chris. Thanks nope. for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's where we're at. We ended with you guys finding the noggle. And so now I'm like really excited to see because I know Sanjen might hate this noggle because it's called him knife ears and made fun of him. He's a noggle. But I know that some of the crew is okay with just killing yeah. the noggle. Yeah. And killing the other noggles. And I know that Sanjen is going to have to stand up even though he doesn't really want to and stand up for these Noggles lives. And I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, my goal, and I'm thinking about this out loud now, like Sanjan's trying to come up with this whole philosophy of how people should live their life, right? Like this is yeah. this is his thing. Like I'm writing a whole book like for him, like doing journal entries and things like that for him. And my whole goal is to try and help this Noggle realize now how to know thyself and know thyself to their fullest potential. Uh, and so we'll see, Good luck. we'll see how this goes. Uh, it may be a failed attempt, but I'm going to try and rehabilitate this noggle, uh, into the way that they should be. But that's really hard. That's really hard to do with a people group that doesn't want you to do that. Anyways, a people group that thinks that they're the greatest people right. group ever, that everything belongs to them. And they're just super racist and terrible to every other person and even to themselves. Like they're not like, Hey, we're friends among the noggles. Like they hate everybody except for themselves. Mm -hmm. They're just terrible creatures. Um, But we will hopefully be hearing from the book that Sanjen is writing, uh, which will possibly have a a specific name to it soon. But we're, I'm excited to hear from Sanjen's book of philosophy in the near future. So, and to find out how this whole Noggle trial goes. So, but you will have to listen to another story time to find out what happens to these Noggles. With that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist a mouthful! No! The flat meat back on the menu, boys! Alright, so this week we have an episode specifically geared towards top tens because uh, we had such a great episode last week with Lou, we decided to split it into two. And this week we are going to be hearing some more from his creative mind as well as from, uh, I would say, the less 
creative minds of of me and Mitch. <laughs> uh, so we're just gonna we're gonna jump right in, and Lou, we'll have you do the honors of going first. So what what is your number ten? All right, my number ten, and you guys are incredibly creative. I've been enjoying listening to your show, and I plan to steal from you completely shamelessly, uh, quite a bit in the future. But all right, but, uh, you, and, you uh, can pay us later. <laughs> Um, did I say steal? I meant to be inspired by you for holy original ideas. <laughs> yeah, right, um, right, right. Dude, st- Lou, if you want to put stomp into your world, <laughs> you, so, you steal from I would you be steal honored. from history, or you you borrow from yeah. history. You steal from other authors. Exactly. So my number ten is number ten. It's, it's really hard to rank these because they're all near and dear to my heart. But yeah. my number ten is number ten simply because while it is a common trope in entertainment it is probably a harder trope to apply to RPGs, which is the old warrior who's not done with the fight. You know, that's mm-hmm. Rick in Casablanca finding out he still has a stake in the war. That's the recent John Carter film where they basically combined the outlaw Josie Wales and sent him to Mars, the veteran soldier who thinks he's done fighting. That's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon yeah. uh, mm-hmm. with Chow Yun-Fat's character. And I love that trope. I love the trope of the aging warrior who's tired of the battle, who finds out he's got one more battle to fight. And it's one of my favorite tropes. But but like I said, I made it number 10 because I don't know how you would apply it to an RPG. Any ideas, guys? First of all, I, that reminds me, too, of the TV show Vikings has a character just like that, um, that he's just a really old Viking warrior. And I love that idea because that's what I thought of immediately. And this guy walks, it goes around with the rest of the young Vikings from battle to battle. And they, they say that he's cursed because he never dies. Like he, he spits on the ground every time he lives through a battle. He's just, he's just mad and ticked off because he wants to uh, like go to Valhalla with the rest of his brothers who have died, but he just, he's too good at fighting and no one can kill him even in his old age. And I mean that to me, like thinking along those lines would make a, like a fantastic like chief, I would think for a, a Viking setting. If you're playing in a, in your world with a Viking type campaign, that would be like a very cool chief. And why is he chief? Well, because he, He's just that good at fighting. And maybe he's just uncontent with life, but <laughs> that's that's why he's there. He's the oldest of, of all of them. I was going to say, too, maybe he's uh, in a game setting. He's more of like the guide that takes people from places to play or from place to place. Yeah. But then at the end, like he's got that one fight left in him and like everybody's ready to run in and charge and do this thing. And he's like, no, no, guys, this is my time. And then potentially that's the way that he ends up dying is in like some epic battle with whatever Mm -hmm. it is he has to go after yeah i i like that trope too i i like that idea of having somebody who's got that one last fight in them or whatever it ends up being that older warrior guy who can't quite seem to get away from battle we've talked about having before a npc in your world that is kind of the almost like Gandalf like character for your PCs. Like he's kind of like, like you said, Chris, like a guide kind of thing, but almost like a guide in uh, leading them along in adventures, but also through their character development and like 
guiding them down moral paths and stuff like that. And I think that's a really, that would be an interesting aspect to that guide role model type character, just an old warrior who just has fought in so many battles and the experience that he has and the outlook that he has on life because of that. So my number 10, it deals with a an entire city who gets super paranoid about this quote unquote disease that ends up entering this city. And I entitled it Red Hands from Red Items. What ends up happening is in this city, people People start slowly, maybe it starts one or two people at first, getting from whatever body part touched a piece of clothing or something, it starts turning red. Um, because this guy from a different city who imports these red clothings or red items thought it would be funny and wanted to play a prank on this city for whatever reason and decided to curse the items so that whatever they touched that was red slowly started to turn their whole body red. So that was hmm. that was my number 10. Reminds me of the Midas touch yeah. where the guy touches every like and turns everything gold, which um <laughs> yeah, that that's uh that's definitely an interesting that aspect. That reminds me of Edgar Allan Poe's Mask of the Red Death. But it's uh it's kind of like that is a prank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a black. We were just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch, what's your number 10? My number 10, I've entitled Rat Infestation. And so uh, this is just an idea for like an adventure that you can put your PCs on. Your PCs come into this ghost town, but there is something living in this town, and it's just a bunch, it's infested with disgusting, gross rats, maybe even like dire rats. Let me ask you guys like, you guys are PCs in a world. And you come across a ghost town, and maybe you go into a house, and you just see whether it's rats or dire rats skitter across the floor. Like, what are you? What is your reaction to that? Rat stomp. Yeah. Right. Rat stomp. Right. Whack a rat. Yeah. That's that was my initial reaction to it in my mind. I was like, uh, I think if I had, like, if I was DMing for this group, you would have a couple players at least who would go ew gross disgusting rats especially if they're dire rats and like attack them and kill them well what i would have happen is that uh the group begins to realize through whatever way that they realize it that these rats are extremely extremely intelligent they can't like communicate like they can't talk but like they're extremely intelligent maybe they find some way besides talking to communicate and they find out that these rats are actually the town inhabitants that have been cursed by a local witch and they, she's just turned the whole town into like rats. And so imagine like being a PC in a campaign and having done that rat stomp, like just stomping on the head of a rat and then finding out later that that was like the town butcher or something like that. What happens to your characters after you realize that? I feel like you, you were listening to NPR this morning. They just had a piece on what was the most likely species to supplant us if we went extinct. And, you know, people always, yeah, people always say cockroaches, but cockroaches live off of our waste heat. And yeah. without us, their population declines back to much <laughs> lower levels. And they said it was rats because they are so intelligent and they're so adaptable at living in all kinds of environments. Mm. So uh, I guess, yes, I should I should pause before stomping and make sure that they're not uh, <laughs> more sentient than I realized. Long ago, in the beginning of the world, there was a witch, and all rats are people that were cursed. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I, I enjoy adding tragedy into my campaigns and, and enjoy giving players tough decisions and tough things to role play through. And that immediate reaction of, I stop the rat and, and just, just obliterate that rat, and then you find out later that 
these poor rats that weren't attacking you, they are actually just people in rat form and uh, you help even even going and helping and either bargaining with the witch, getting rid of the witch, whatever it is, however you turn them back, it's like you on your conscious know that you killed this rat. <laughs> And you, of course, at the time didn't know it, but you killed the person because of it, and that's it's a tough thing to role play through. I was gonna say maybe the way that they find out is like when you kill them, it breaks the curse on them, but it takes like five or ten minutes oh, for gosh. like for them to transform back into whatever humanoid form they were, that'd be, and that's that'd be how horrible. you find out like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Uh, and that's yeah. maybe how you find yeah. out about the witch and things like that. Because otherwise, I figure like if you just stomped a whole bunch of rats and walked out of the ghost city, you may never find out. What if? What, what if? Yeah. The so, first time yeah. you kill one, you become one, and then you're able to speak rat. But you got to play the adventure as a rat to get out of it. You know, you have to save. <laughs> maybe that's what. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what slowly happened. That's how it's passed on. Lou, I really <laughs> love that idea <laughs> because I love the idea of. Uh, having an adventure where all your all your players go and kill rats because that's the natural I think reaction when you see a disgusting rat and you want to sleep in this house or whatever and just rest is just to kill the disgusting rats who are out and then all of a sudden you you like maybe even it's after you sleep and so you sleep there and you wake up and you're rats and now you can communicate with them and just having an adventure where your rats going on an adventure to destroy this witch that'd be fantastic that would be all right lou what is your number nine number nine I, I, again i'm ranking these i think in terms of their, their usefulness so another trope i love in fiction is fighting for the wrong side and finding out slowly that you're on the wrong side. Mm, That's yeah. Michael Moorcox Elric again. You know, he, he is an inhuman who ends up destroying his own people and his own gods for the sake of a human race that he thinks is totally beneath him. There's a character in Nightborn. I won't spoil it, but, uh, you know, she's definitely on the wrong side. I love characters who start out as the bad guys and find out that they'd rather be good guys or that they have to be good guys. Yeah. I think that that adds an interesting NPC into the game because my initial thought of that is it's the players that one realize that, Hey, even though this guy or girl is fighting for the wrong side, they're not a bad person. And if they were on our side, they would be an amazing ally and having that role-playing opportunity to be able to have your PCs turn that person to the right side. There's also a, a take on this going on right now that actually probably would role-play really well, which is um, uh, there's a show on called Dark Matter. Um, it's actually a... I'm, the, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the co-executive producer, Joe Malazzi, is a friend of mine. And um, it's based on a comic book he did for Dark Horse. But in the story, a bunch of people wake up on a starship with no memory at all. And they don't have any idea why their memories are, are wiped or who they are or what they're doing. And they arrive at a planet, which the ship was already en route to. And it's a colony planet. And the colony planet ex is, uh, tells them that they are barricading themselves against the arrival of some mercenaries who have been hired to completely wipe them out. And they go back to their ship <laughs> and they find all these guns. And they realize that they are the mercenaries who are en route to wipe out the planet. And, uh, and and they have to decide whether they go through with it or or not, <laughs> since they don't remember who they are or why they were there or or any of the circumstances. But they uh, they find out they, over the course of the first couple of episodes this, that they're very bad people, and this memory erasure has given them the chance to stop being very bad people. 
So, you know, it would be an unusual campaign, but you could start a campaign off where you tell the players to build the character but have no backstory whatsoever. Yeah. You might you might even hide their abilities. You know, you might have a magic user who doesn't know what spells he knows. Or uh, or even that he is a magic user. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Which would work for a sorcerer especially because they're you know, they it's it's something that they just have an innate ability to do that. And so maybe you you have that scary moment where they're about yep. to be killed and they let off by whatever it is and they let off a spell in defense of themselves. All right, Chris, what about you? My number nine, Mitch, I think we've talked about it. I think we've talked about it before, um, is I want to create some sort of way to have a fishing tournament uh, in my world. I think we talked about this when we went up to my grandparents' cottage. I think uh, so, yeah. And I said, I want to come up with some way that, like, through percentage die rolls that I could come up with a way for people to catch certain types of fish in certain type of uh, certain types of water within my world and have like fishing tournaments people can enter and uh, if they just want to go out and fish for a specific type of fish for food they can do things like that they can buy things to help their uh, percentage chances of catching certain fish and that's something that I'm currently working on but I thought that might be something fun a pastime that many people love into a D&D setting. So that was my number nine, was adding some sort of fishing element to the world. One, one so. of the fish has to have a ring or a jewel in its belly. Yeah, and well, yeah, <laughs> yes. it might be the thing that you put, like, items can be inside yes. these fish. You catch a huge one, it's got, like, armor inside of it from eating somebody or whatnot. Someone pulls up a boot, and it's a seven-league boot. Or, or you know, there's got to be <laughs> items that are not fish that can come up yeah, out of the yeah. water. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That reminds me of what we talked about in the last episode with games within a game, and that would be that would definitely be something that I know at least a couple of our players would get so into, especially that the video game mentality of like, ooh, like this is a, this is a challenge. I I can, <laughs> you know, we often say you there's really no winning yeah. and losing Dungeons and Dragons. The winning. The winning is having fun and the losing is you're doing something and you're not having fun and there's just problems at the table. But giving little games like that in your in your actual game can can give those players who just really want to win here here, this can be your moment. Like maybe you can do well at this little mini game I created for you. It reminds me of in uh, Legend of Zelda, the fishing yeah, game idea. Yeah, that's kinda where I was going with that. So <laughs> So my number nine, I've entitled Iron Man 4. And oh, <laughs> so in my world, dwarves have created not only golems, but they took it a step for further and they create golem mm -hmm. armor. So it's uh, it's an emptied out golem, but they have the, you know, uh, they, uh, when they reach the point where they can, they have uh, the technology to be able to step inside this armor and to go around in this big golem armor and to fight, whether it's they're smashing goblins or they're in need of actually fighting a dragon, it just it it makes this one dwarf inside this armor just so much more powerful. And so I thought it'd be really sweet to, as a DM, have there be like a moment in a campaign where whether the players are dwarves or they um, come to a dwarven city and maybe the dwarven city like needs help fighting a you know something that is beyond the player's reach at that point, depending on their level, whether it's a dragon or whatever it is, having this sweet battle where your players can step inside golem armor. And, you know, there's there's stats for golems and things like that, and you can kind of work something really simple out through that. 
and just have this awesome battle where you let your players do some crazy, crazy, crazy amounts of damage to some crazy, some crazy enemies that they at that point aren't ready to fight. But because of that, they're able to step into this golem armor and be able to fight. And maybe the uh, golem armor creator, the dwarf, is called, uh, I don't know, Tony Sparkhammer or something. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. So, <laughs> But I, I thought that would be a really sweet encounter idea. The golem armor is sentient. Yes. And you have to convince it to let you in. It won't let anybody in. It won't just let anybody I in. I like you that. You have to make a case for it. It may say you can get in today, but you can't come back tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I didn't like what you did yesterday, so I'm shutting you out today. So it doesn't just become a, a constant addition that the player has all the time. You got to deal with it every other yeah. campaign. You just say, you know, the the armor has consented to let you wear it for this specific occasion for the specific battle. Lou, you're a DC fan. What's the what's the superhero that's in that's trapped in the helmet that you have to put on? Doctor Fate. That yeah 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 oh, it's yeah. kind of that kind of idea like you have you put it on and then yeah although fate is is classic fate was ridden by the helmet he, he yeah he he went away and the helmet took over yeah so, that's right yeah. all right Lou what's your number eight close or guard the portal the Hellgate the Mountains Pass Helms Deep it's Legend of Korra season two it's the entirety of Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. and there's a short story you guys need to look up and your listeners need to look up called How the Wicker Knight Will Not Move by Chris Wilrich it's How the Wicker Knight Will Not Move and it's a uh, it's online for free at Beneath Cecil Skies you can read it online and you can download an audio book or listen to it as a podcast it'll take you an hour 30 minutes somewhere in there and it's um if you want to see some world building, some amazing world building packed into like just five thousand words or six thousand words, it's incredible. There is a portal through which something completely alien is coming into a fantasy world, and uh, anything it touches is converted into itself. It's some kind of crystalline mm. substance. And when you look through the portal, you see things that might have at one time been people or animals that are now all this diamond substance, and they move very, very slowly relative to us. But when they come through, they're going to convert our whole universe into their universe, almost mm. like a like a nano plague, except in a fantasy context. And yeah. these, these five or so assembled adventurers are there to try and figure out how to get this Wicker Man statue that was built a thousand years ago to activate and stop it. They know that the ancients built these Wicker Man statues to repel this thing the last time it came through, but no one knows how to turn it on. Incredible story. Well, that that opens up just multiple doors, if you will, of even just D&D creatures that it could be whether it's mind flayers or it's it's a it's a portal maybe to the underworld and i mean that's what into the abyss is kind of going off of like there's there's demon lords coming in to yeah. the underdark because of the phaserus and like it could be efreets from the fire plane what happens when efreets come through and they want to turn the your world into their world. Well, you better be ready for a lot of fire because that's what they want. Chris, how about your uh, number eight? My number eight is kind of based off of part of, well, I, I got the idea when I was reading through uh, Frostborn, Lou, actually. Um, and you had a part in there where Karn confuses a troll when he 
runs out of the back of the house. I think it was out of the back of the house, and he runs into the troll. And the only way he can get away from it is by confusing it, correct? Correct. So I have this idea of, like, in this city, they have this two-headed troll that they keep in captivity. And in order for people to win, whether it's a tournament or whatever, they have to step into the ring with this troll. And in order to win the battle, because obviously the people aren't going to win it by fighting it. They have to win the battle by confusing the troll. And so you have people who try to time themselves to do it the fastest. And so people (laughs) will practice these stories or whatever to confuse this troll in order for it to start beating itself up so that they can win. So that was the idea that I had uh, based off of what you wrote in Frostborn. So little shout out to you. Man, I feel so bad for the troll. I was going to say, inspired by Frostborn, it shouldn't be your number eight, man. That should be your number one. Yeah, well, but, yeah, you know, yeah. except that I feel so bad for your troll. It's like bear baiting. They've just got this poor thing yeah. constantly befuddled. <laughs> just stab just it already. Constantly con- yeah. <laughs> it's just living in constant agony because it can't, it can't uh, figure out what's right and what's wrong. That was that was one of my favorite parts in the book, yeah, actually. Yeah. In that, uh, I would love to see the different ideas that players come up with, knowing, like going into the contest, knowing that the the idea of it is not to fight, but to 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 fool, to trick. I feel like it's a holiday. It's confused a troll day, you know. it's like once it yeah dress in paper machine Uh, we're all off of school for confuse a troll day (laughs) oh your troll looks your troll costume looks so cute billy (laughs) they have the parade of trolls where they go around the city with little kids in troll costumes (laughs) they eat candy dung and (laughs) (laughs) but you know like the lou what you said about like i feel bad about the troll i almost like feel like there's a story in that like you are as PCs come into this town or this, you know, whether it's a small town or a city, and maybe this is their big like thing. Like they have this troll captured, and you know, instead of having jesters outfits, they'll have like a parade on the day, and people will dress up as the troll, and they just like have this whole mockery of it, and they'll like people will come up to this whoever's dressed up as the troll and like trip the troll and whatever it is, and maybe your PCs like they enter into it but then they realize that this troll is just a poor creature that's being endlessly tormented yeah. and so the 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 real adventure maybe is your pcs figuring out a way to break uh the troll out and i just had this re- <laughs> this completely uh Oh man, back to my childhood uh, memory of the Hey Arnold episode where the grandma breaks the turtle out. Oh the, yeah, uh, yeah, out of the zoo, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but I just imagine like maybe that is the adventure: breaking this poor troll out so he can just live free in the wilderness. I think so. I think, and it's you know, it, it, it <laughs> they they think that chickens were domesticated initially because of cockfighting. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's so cruel. And I, I went, uh, I, I saw one bullfight live in Spain when I was younger. My brother was there. He cried. My, my mother cried. But one of the things I got out of it, I, it's they shouldn't bullfight. I'm not, I'm not in yeah, favor yeah. of bullfighting. Um, right. But one of the things that I learned when I watched the bullfight was that sometimes the bull wins. And when the <laughs> bull wins, the bull goes free. That bull has put out the pasture and is never used in a fight again. Or at least that's what we were told. So uh, if there ought to be a sometimes the troll wins, and uh, yeah. and the trolls who win are you know rewarded for having won. You might have a troll that is like you know that's a great gig. 
yeah. I, I get to stay in this cage and I get periodically I, I, get I, eat, yeah, I, eat, I eat a person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The troll yeah. is not being yeah. fooled yeah. ever. He's just super, super smart, and <laughs> he acts. He's able to act the part yeah. of like, oh, I didn't think yeah. about that, yeah. and I'm tricked. And yeah. oh, that'd be good. There's a lot of there's a lot of options yeah. for that story. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's Hermione trying to free the house elves, and they don't want to be freed. Yeah. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. See, a slip him a sock in a book without him knowing it that the master <laughs> gave to him. Yeah. Yeah. Seems legit. <laughs> oh, so, good. Uh, so Mitch, what was your num- number eight? My number eight is War of the Elements. And so in my world, I have the Ganassi, you know, in my world. And in my world, instead, the Ganassi culture is that they do not worship gods in my world. What they actually worship is they have, there's tiers of Jinn and Efrits and whoever the Ganassi are related to ancestrally. And so uh, there's like this, the the top tier of Jin, like that's who the Air Ganassi, that's who they would worship, and that's like their their god of sorts. And it's it's interesting because a lot of them are in service to their quote unquote god, but they can actually go and and speak with their god and talk to their god on a regular basis if they're not traveling. And depending on how powerful the Jin or the Efreets are, like, they can actually answer, quote-unquote, prayers, depending on the, like, how far you are away from them. And so uh, that's just something I liked. I added into my world as a bit of lore, but I thought it'd be really sweet to have this war of elementals where uh, the different Ganassi, and maybe your players are Ganassi from either the same type or different types, and there's a war between the different types of genies from the different planes and they are now being placed into this war against each other and i think it'd be what would be really interesting is if you have you know if you have four players you have four different ganassi of different types and they're they're initially fighting each other but maybe something brings them together to be like this is not what we want to be doing so that was kind of my idea lou Number seven. We're working our way up. Have to go on a quest to heal a friend. It, um, you know, this is the first half of Return of the Jedi. Uh, this is a great book uh, from the How to Train Your Dragon series, How to Cheat a Dragon's Curse by Cressida Cowell, where uh, fish legs is, is poisoned, and they have to go and find a the vegetable that dare not speak its name, the potato, which the Vikings uh. don't know anything about, but they, they the, the potato is the cure for the poison. So they have to find the mythical potato, which if that doesn't make you want to read the book, I don't know, they have to find the mythical potato. <laughs> but you know that's that's uh, there's somebody's got something wrong, and there's only one way to fix it. So we got to go fix it. I like those ideas because it it puts you, I mean, who wouldn't if they had the opportunity to save a friend, go and do it. And so to give people an opportunity to do that in a fantasy world can only open up doors to some pretty awesome things that players can do for their friends. And maybe it even requires you to, like when you get there, to make the stakes even higher. It's like this thing that's being guarded by a really powerful creature and you need to sacrifice something in order to get there. So whatever that ends up being could really turn the tide for making that a really good story. And there's so many options within the D&D world that are already there for diseases that it could be, or you can make up your your own disease. And uh, one thing I think would be interesting is if it is one of the players that gets this disease and they're the sick one 
and they're able to still adventure with you. At, well, you have two options. Like, uh, this is a great idea for, oh, one of my players is not going to be around for the next month. Okay, let's have him get sick, and are the players need to go and, like, find a cure for him. And that that answers the question of why is this PC not with us? Because they're at home in bed feeling really sick. Or if they are with you, like... I mean, there are some times when you're fighting creatures that they give you certain diseases and it stinks, but you're still able to play with that disease. And I think that definitely puts a fire under the, the adventuring group to be like, we need, we need to help this yeah, guy. Well, he's, I mean, he's not doing well. if they're walking around with you and you see them just degenerating right in front of you. Yeah. You know, it's... Or you suffer no ill effects for seven days whereupon you drop dead. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that Treasure Island? Is that what happens? <laughs> All right, Chris, how about your number seven? My number seven is there's a king of a land who kind of controls how the fertility of the farms works. He's obviously like a druid of some kind. He helps bring fertile ground to the kingdom, but all of a sudden his powers, they don't stop working. Like he can still bring rain and things like that but they stop having an effect on the ground. And so you find out that you could have uh, another, you know, quote-unquote anti-Druid who's preventing the things, doing things to the ground to make water not take. Or you have, like, some sort of creature that lives underground that's, you know, draining all the water, draining all the nutrients from the ground, so it's preventing it from happen or from happening. And so you could either have a, a quest to go find this other anti-druid or go and uh, figure out what, what's causing the problem from under, underneath the ground. Uh, that was my number six. <laughs> oh, really? I, I had he, he, heal the land, heal the village, the town, the kingdom. I mean, it's, it's, it's either King Arthur's Grail quest where the land is sick, so you've got to go find the grail to heal the king so that the land can be restored. Or it's yeah. Ian Johnson's right. Temple of Doom where the thing that we had that kept our village happy has been stolen and you've got to get it and bring it back. But yeah, yeah, you've got something broken in the land that has to be fixed so that we can eat and grow crops and give milk and all the things <laughs> we need to do. This is the first time that's ever happened where we've had two of the same yeah. things. First time for everything. <laughs> Great minds. Yeah, right, like, right. You know how it is. Mitch, what was your number seven? My number seven is, uh, now I'm worried that I'm going to say... <laughs> <laughs> that we're gonna have more. Uh, my number seven, I have entitled "Around the World in Who Knows How Many Days." Um, <laughs> this this is something that we're we're actually doing for our next uh, campaign in my world. Is we've always had this question. Well, the players have always had this question of is my world round or flat and. Uh, especially hashtag Magic Mark, one of our players is just driven kind of insane by the fact that he doesn't know this yet, and he every opportunity he has, he tries to work it in with his character to be able to ask it and figure it out. <laughs> but so I think it would be a great way. You know, we talked a lot about on the previous episode world building, and we talk about it on the show all the time. But um, to create an adventure where the PCs either set sail on a ship or flight. To Pending, maybe it's an airship to determine whether the world is round or flat or po possibly something else. Perhaps along the way they discover new lands and they get to flesh out your world more. And it's a great way to be able to introduce places that maybe they wouldn't go to normally. And I, I mean, of course, in my mind as I go through this, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader like pops mm -hmm. up as a a great example of that and you could have a very star trek 
esque campaign in a fantasy world of like each each uh, night is a different adventure of we're going from different place to place to place to place and finding all these different cultures and different races and all these different adventures. But um, you could have this this overarching question to the campaign of are we going to reach the other side where we know we know lands and so we figure out that this world is round or are we going to fall off the edge at the end like what is what is going to happen to us it's funny you referenced star trek because the first thing i thought of was the chinese treasure fleets when the imperial china sent out fleets over the world and they and some people think mm-hmm. came from the americas and they were not on missions of conquest they were on diplomatic missions to just spread culture and it actually is the closest thing we've had on our planet to the Enterprise. And uh, yes, that'd be awesome. Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, seminal, seminal sailing work. Ulysses and the, uh, the Odyssey. Yeah, I was thinking the Odyssey yeah. too. So, yeah, I love that. You could do Star Trek on a boat. You know, Mr. Yeah. Spock could be a half elf. And, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. We're actually starting that campaign tonight as we speak, and that's one of the things we have to determine together. We're having character creation night, and together we need to figure out, is this a exploration-like mission? Is this a you know militaristic mission? What is it that you guys are sailing out to do? That probably, that's not going to determine like you know what the answer to the big question is, but we got to figure out what the start of the adventure Lost is. in space, a, a big whirlpool sucked them right through the planet, spat them out on mm-hmm. the other side, and they're just trying to yeah. get home. Yeah. That was a good lie, Mitch, because remember what Lou said last time, we don't actually play D&D. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. yeah tonight. So, tonight, remember. Wait, 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 wait. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about podcasts is they can't tell if our face is lying or not. <laughs> Oh gosh. Uh so Lou, what what is your number well, six? Well we did oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, wait. oh wait. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> All right, so I guess uh Chris, what is your <laughs> since you stole Lou's Thunder? Whoa. Uh, whoa. <laughs> no, no, I said it first. <laughs> because you put it lower on the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So my number six, it deals with for some reason I have this thing where in the cities, like things will deal with children sometimes because I think children make great stories that you know people have to figure out how to interact with kids in a different way than they normally do because most campaigns are focused on adults. And so I was thinking of a way for like kids to get involved to maybe play with kids once, like with your kids once again. But maybe in this city, you have somebody who is a thief who figures out a way to animate kids toys so like i imagine the stuffed animals that are made out of hay or whatever they made or the rag dolls or whatever they made of that day to at night become animate objects and walk around and steal people's valuables and bring them to them and so maybe you have these kids who wake up in the middle of the night maybe your players are kids who wake up in the middle of the night and figure out this is happening and have to go on this exploration mission to figure out why <laughs> things are getting stolen where they're going things like that so Sounds that was like a really creepy version of Rugrats <laughs> <laughs> to me. E- evil toy maker. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Toy Story Ooh, yeah. Yeah, type thing. So I would like to play in that, and I would like to have a very serious, creepy outlook, horror-ish sense of that campaign. I would totally be into that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mitch, what is your number six? 
So we had uh, the War of the Elements from me. Now I have number six, the War of the Gods. And so I thought it'd be really sweet to play in a campaign where the players' characters are angelic beings of their chosen god and that they're given the task to fight in a war between the devils and demons of the evil one and just the crazy things you could do in a campaign where you're not tethered to normal rules of physics and just things that you would be tethered to in a regular game. Even just the fact that, you know, you could be all ancient, ancient creatures, that angelic beings. And, you know, you can, you don't need to get into, you know, we always say story first and rules are the the secondary thing and you don't need to go okay well if we're gonna do this then we all have to be solars from the DD monster manual and figure out what they are as far as a race but you could simply if you're a angelic being of morden you can take the dwarf stats if you're a one of pelor you can take the human stats and then just role play the rest and you know maybe you all have wings whatever it is that you determine as the dm and players together but i just thought it'd be really cool to you know with our past campaign we got a very strong glimpse into the world of the gods and to be able to do that and introduce things into a campaign that maybe you normally wouldn't be. I know, Lou, like you said, with writing your books, you don't get as much of the mythology of the gods as you would like to and you've created all this stuff. And this, I think, is an opportunity that maybe that's the same in, for you as a DM that you don't get to get into the mythology of your gods as much or even figuring out what is true and what is false from the beliefs of the people on your world and that would be a really cool aspect i think i wonder if there's a way you could play where turns didn't pass in the time they normally do it occurred over decades yeah where you're seeing it is like i just took my sword and i whacked this other god over the head but what you're actually doing is grabbing a mountain hurling it at him or making a volcano blow up or something so that yeah so, you know, yeah they all everything's connected yeah, in some way, way you could yeah. shape the environment with the battle you know the two of us fought yeah. and we made the grand canyon that day that would be awesome like making ca- like every move or even just the the most monumentous moves be cataclysmic or just be like just monumentous moments like one of your characters dies and in the real mortals world a star falls from the heavens and hits the earth or a yes. meteor and it you know, you know especially if on the other end of this you like if, if there was some way this is probably more complicated than you need to get but if there was some way that you set some ground rules up and then when it's done you're like okay so this is what the world looks like as a result now we're going to play completely mortal characters in the ruins of this world so there's a mountain here that didn't used to be this city doesn't exist anymore you know you have to now play with the consequences of your god's actions that'd be fantastic i like that a lot (laughs) all right lou you you get to talk again uh, you get to give us one again hopefully chris or me didn't steal it number five what is uh your number five we've been compromised it's the Mission Impossible films. It's Kingsman, The Secret Service, The End. It's Three Days of the Condor, <laughs> greatest spy movie ever made. Robert Redford for the win. Or, for that matter, Winter Soldier, Robert Redford for the win. Yep. Same movie. <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, it's the, I'm, I'm working for this organization, and guess what? It's compromised at the highest level. No idea who I can trust. Have to go rogue because I cannot trust my own people anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the King's Guard, and someone else in the King's Guard has turned the King's Guard against the King. Maybe the king has turned the guard against me. I don't know. <laughs> and so we've got to go out and figure out who the traitor is while losing all the things we used to rely on. I feel like that's one of the strongest 
feelings that can be awesome for a RPG game is just paranoia. Yeah. And you don't know who you can trust and like not knowing, you know, who's going to betray you. And I've done it in one of my campaigns where the traitor was one of the players at the table. And the moment when a, you know, we had talked early on and said, okay, you're actually not on these guys' side, but you will go along with them and you have this other motive. And and we've said when we've talked about it, we've said know your players and know whether or not they're going to be able to take that maturely or not because, because we had some pretty angry players at the table. And they look back with just fondness on it now. But like when we had that moment to reveal like, oh, he's actually on the side of the evil god who you're fighting. Well, and the, <laughs> the thing about him was is it wasn't just like, oh, guess what? I'm on the side of the god. No, like he ripped a tiefling's tail <laughs> off. He almost killed one. I mean, he did like terrible things. He, it wasn't just like, well, the reveal see you happened. later, yeah, guys. Was, uh... No, it was terrible stuff that he did, which and made people hate him. he created a villain that is timeless now. And we, we did mm-hmm. in, the, in the end, it, it turned out really well. But I like that idea a lot. And paranoia at the table can be a, I think can be a really fun thing to play. That's that's one of my favorite types of games, ones that I just have to always be on my toes and think strategically and not know who I can trust. Chris, what about your number five? My number five, speaking of paranoid, is uh, you walk into a city as NPCs or as uh, players, and somebody in your group has a familiar or a pet or, or whatever, and you notice that people are extremely paranoid of you they don't trust you they think anything that you say to them is like anything you say they, they can't quite take like people refuse to serve you like they don't want you to stay in their inns things like that you begin to realize why after talking with some people who are kind of understanding like oh you don't you don't get it do you or they talk to somebody else in your group who doesn't have a familiar or an animal that walks around with them the reason being is because the king of the city holds people in the palm of his hand because he has these creatures that walk around and are like the eyes and ears for him of the city. They'll come back to him and report and he'll like speak with these animals and they'll tell him what's going on with the city and things like that. And so the reason that they, or maybe they even like kill one of your players' pets or something like that, it just goes missing uh, all of a sudden because they don't trust animals Hmm. because they're the eyes and the ears and the spies of the king that runs the town or the country or whatever. So that was my idea for number five. Or the animals are brain slugs. <laughs> yeah. And they're actually that the too. brains behind each person. Yeah. So you're the only free-brained human. <laughs> I like that idea. Mitch, what is, uh, what's your number five? My number five I've simply entitled Vigilantes. And I thought it'd be a sweet, sweet thing for whatever city you're playing in or whatever, a secret group of vigilantes has uh, arisen in the city and they're exacting justice on the criminals of the city, but perhaps they're not Batman-esque. They, <laughs> they will go, they, they're strict believers in capital punishment, and they'll just go, nope, if you're a criminal, we're going to rid the world of you and never have to deal with you again. And so I think that would be an amazing plot to drop on your players and then to see, okay, your PCs are going to try and find them, but it'd be interesting to see, do your PCs end up deciding to join them or to destroy them. And I think that would be an interesting adventure. So they're 1939 Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> yeah, with the two guns and, and no jury. Yeah. <laughs> and they're vampires. <laughs> and they're vampires. I like it. That's the, that's the hidden 
other part yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. But I like that they're vampires that are that have Vigilante a sense vampires. of a sense of good, but a greater it's a greater good kind of situation. Well, we we just feed on the on the corrupt. Yeah. You have like a you have a Dexter character who's a vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paladin vampires. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, interesting. We've been given this curse so that we can eradicate evil. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring that up because in my world, in the very Ravenloft-y country of my world, there is a city that has a general that is a vampire, but they love him and they just praise him because he he fights for them and he only takes prisoners of war as his food. And so like the city is this very dark place that but they just think he's awesome and they have parades for him and totally accepted in, among them china mayville has a novel called the scar where uh, there's a vampire lord over a certain segment of the city and the people who live in his district pay a blood tax mm. but but love it. but love yeah it. don't yeah. begrudge it yeah yeah huh hmm. interesting very cool so lou what is your number four sabotage the enemy's defensives covertly Guns of Navarone, Return of the Jedi, second half. Hmm. You've got to send in a small team to knock out the big guns so the army can follow. Covert mission. I feel like that's a great one for your uh, your rogue to shine on. Like this, this is oh, your yeah. time, man. Let's see what you can do, sure. or even create a whole campaign around where all your characters are very stealthy built. Even the big fighter is. It's it's all about sneaking around and taking people out in one hit rather than. Uh, <laughs> Getting into long-winded battles where everybody's screaming at each other. Okay, Chris, what's your number four? My number four is in this city. You walk into a city, and it's sparkling clean, like pine saw the crap out of this place. <laughs> it smells nice. It looks nice. Everything's nice and polished all the time. And the reason being is you see around the city, for whatever reason, there are these little, like we've talked about myrrh over and over and over again. You have these little myrrh creatures that walk around and pick up trash. They're picking up like scrap pieces of metal. They're polishing things. They're washing things down, whatever it is that they're doing. But nobody knows where they come from. It's one of those things that they're not necessarily bad. They do a lot of good things. Just it's one of those things people don't have a regulation on. They don't know where they come from because there's so many of them all around. And what you find out is deep, deep, deep underneath the city, you have a very intelligent rat population, like rat fold mm. population, who is picking up all the trash. They love trash. And so what they're doing is they're having these myrrh that compress it into like homes and different, you know, items that they can use down deep, deep, deep underneath the city. Uh, and so maybe it's something that you play as characters from the city who is just something that you notice and you're like, well, where the heck do they come from? And you notice that like these myrrh are going into like alleyways, sewers and things like that. They're very sneaky about it. But you decide to do some investigating and figure out what's going on down there. So then you have a whole nother city underneath a city. Like what happens when the city up top figures out that there's a rat population underneath? Like, does it become, you know, a diplomatic mission to prevent the city from up north trying to or from up above to eradicate the population below and things like that? So that was my number four. What, what is it with rats? <laughs> I don't know. We yeah, have, we have this know, weird I, thing I, with I, another writer who comes on, and it's cats. Like we're always talking about cats. Oh yeah, cats. Somehow it's working in, but I guess with Lou, Lou it's uh, it's rats. <laughs> well, it, it uh, that's a great idea. And but I, uh, when you said myrrh, my first thought was golden frankincense and mm, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Myrrh are the little. Me and you talk uh, about collecting garbage, and they love garbage. And it, where I spin off of that is that, you know, everything is in gold. It, it, you know, we're 
was like, how many gold pieces are there? How many platinum pieces are there yet? One of the most valuable items in the Middle Ages was spices. Yeah. Ways to preserve and flavor food. And then you, you could give the player a huge bag of spice. And you'd be like, what? What do I want this for? I, I want a bag of gold. This is just a bag of pepper. And leaves yeah, it. Right. And he gets back and you're like, you know, going to, actually that bag of pepper was worth five times its weight in gold. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because it was one of those things that wasn't mass produced. Then. Yeah, you, you left that in that dungeon. I bet you wish you carried it out yeah. now. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Uh, I like that. I like that a lot. Mitch, so what's your number four? My number four is Four Swords of the Maker. And I just give these things names that I think sounds cool, I guess. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have this idea of in uh, a homebrew world, there being... Uh, law, chaos, good, and evil, and each of these are obviously points on the alignment chart of the classic D&D system, but also having all four of these, law, chaos, good, and evil, be swords, that there are these ancient swords, and they're all held on their own plane of existence, and so if you're playing like classic D&D, you've got like Elysium, Hades, Mercanus and Limbo, but they could also be your own planes of your own homebrew worlds that you create. And I like this idea that maybe there's this legend that these are real swords, but the legend goes that if a sword were to meet its opposite in battle, so if law met chaos and they were to strike against each other, that it would create a cataclysmic event that would destroy both of the planes of origin that that weapon came from. And I got this idea just from like thinking about crazy artifacts that were created by gods. And, and I also thought maybe <laughs> to add a little bit more lore into these, these crazy swords, there's some lore from different mythologies that a, a sword forged in dragon's fire is like the most powerful kinds of swords. Well, I thought, what if these swords were created by the dragon gods of the determining alignment? And that's how these things are just the ultimate powerful swords in the universe. That's pretty detailed, but that's kind of an idea I thought that players could put into their campaign and start a quest for one of these swords, perhaps even all of them. And you know where that law and chaos stuff comes from, right? <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> no, 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 no. Tell us, Michael, Mo Michael Morcock. Ah. Michael Morcock. I'm telling you, go back in time and take him out, I mean, man. It's not, not there. The I'm totally, yeah. I'm totally gonna read more of yes, this stuff now. More of uh, Michael Morcock. Yep. Awesome. All right, we are at the closing end, the top end. We are down to our top threes, and so uh, we'll get a little drum roll here. And Lou, start us off with your number three. Infiltrate the Villains Organization for Intelligence. Every Bond movie, particularly out of Magic yep. Secret Service and Goldfinger, where it doesn't work. Yeah. Miller's Crossing, where, where Tommy joins the other Chicago gangster and pretends to help him, you know, get the villain's trust and join the organization for a time. I get the strong feeling, Lou, that you... Uh, were as a kid a, a huge Bond fan. Enormous Bond fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you are you still that way? Do you still like the the new Bond movies? I, I, Skyfall was one of the best Bond movies I've ever yeah. made. Yeah. 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 I loved that one. It was good. <laughs> I think though, like that kind of story is really a strong appeal for the players out there who consider themselves 
much story focused and role playing focused. You know, that it's out of the box thinking that you're going to be doing, not just like run, kick in the door, like the infiltration, the having to lie and pretend that you're somebody you're not. That's just something at, like as somebody who likes to role play so much more than, you know, I, I enjoy the battles and everything, but the role playing is just what I love about the game. That's something that is such a has such a strong appeal to me is, and whenever I play any t- sort of board game or whatever, I really like to be silver tongued and kind of do my diplomacy and try and like work the best angles. So that kind of a campaign would be perfect. I love playing Risk with you, Mitch, because you try to silver tongue me, and then oh, all of a sudden, I, like, I do all that of a sudden, every... it's all of a sudden, I'm just like, well, I'm bored with Risk. I'm just gonna explode, and I don't even care what alliances I was a part and of. That's why I don't try to make alliances with you anymore. I know. I know. Uh, you're you're a time bomb waiting to go off. I can't. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, Chris, give us your number three. My number three is going to sound kind of weird to start, but you have a wizard who has shrunk himself down to the size of an ant. Uh, Not a rat. Are you sure it's not a rat? Not a rat. Not a rat. Not a rat. And has taken over a population of ants because I would imagine that the queen basically runs the ant population. He somehow takes control of the queen's mind and has these controls the ant queen to tell the ants to do whatever the heck. (laughs) He wants the reason being here's the reason why he uses he uses these ants to infiltrate places that people wouldn't expect (laughs) because they're ants. What do you do to ants? You squish them, right? You're not going to like set up defensive systems to get rid of them and whatnot. So he breaks into these crazy guarded places, shrinks the items down that are inside and steals them. And nobody can figure out where they went because they're not the same size. So you as players figure out that he's taken them inside of an ant population. You have to be shrunk down to the size of an ant to go into the crazy catacombs and tunnels that ants create and try and find these items. All the while you're fighting against a wizard (laughs) who has control over all of these ants. And it's extremely scary to walk through a place that you have no idea. Nobody ever has this place mapped out. So that was my number three idea. And hopefully you don't, when you're shrunk down, run around a corner and meet a rat. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm uh, pretty sure I saw this movie only yeah. from the perspective of the wizard. I was, I was thinking the same thing. Like, this is Ant Man, but in a fantasy world. Yeah. And that being said, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I would totally play in that. I, I figured, I figured you would. Uh, did, did you guys see the film Epic? Yes, mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, the mm-hmm. scene where she thinks the mouse is so cute, and, and they're like, you know, what is wrong with you? Get away! Get away! Yep. <laughs> That thing's a killer. (laughs) (laughs) You don't tell your players what you're going to be doing in the campaign, but you just tell them, yeah, we're we're pretty much only going to be fighting like, I don't know, squirrels and rats in this campaign. (laughs) They're just like, so this this sounds really boring and easy. Oh, you wait. You wait and see, my friend. (laughs) Well, the minute you go out of somewhere that's not even mapped anymore, and it's like, well, what the heck, what what do you find in a rat's (laughs) nest? Like, what do you find in... An ant hill, yeah. you know, gives you a lot of creative liberty and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So, yeah. So basically, Ant Man in a fantasy setting. Mitch, what is your number three? Basically, Ant Man in a fantasy <laughs> setting. <laughs> 
<laughs> so basically, I stole from this movie. That's okay. My yeah, number yeah. two, I stole from a movie I saw recently. I thought it was like, wow, this will be a great D&D campaign. So my number three, I've entitled Sunken World. And I got this idea from the legend of Atlantis. But I thought, what if you, you know, maybe you're, you haven't made your own world yet. And so you create a world that's on the surface, it's 95 or more percent just covered completely by water. And upon, maybe this is another exploration campaign. And upon exploration, your PCs find that under the water, there are just cities that span the depths of the oceans across the entire world. I feel like this could be a really cool uh, campaign where you find like remnants of an ancient civilization that ruled the world long ago and realizing that our world hasn't always been like this. We used to be way more covered by land. And I don't know like what exactly the story, all the story components of that are, like whether, you know, maybe you find opposition that now these ruins have been taken over by aquatic creatures or whatever it is. But I thought that would be a really interesting part of lore for somebody's world and something to discover as PCs. I uh, feel like uh, this, is, this is Rich Howard's influence. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I, every time I say water now, which yes, I know I yes. say water weird, but I just hear like Rich Howard like squealing every time I say it now. <laughs> I love that idea so much. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of uh, the abyss. And is there something down there with an agenda? Yeah. Yeah. With an anti surface yeah. dweller agenda. Yeah. It also yeah. reminds me of the, like the Silurians on Doctor Who. That, it was our planet first, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and we'd like it back. And we have the moral high ground because it was our planet first. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's interesting. I didn't think of it until you kind of said that. But what if the story of the campaign is the, the PCs find out that this is like a really long, drawn out. It is not nature that's been causing it, but it's like magic or whatever of this underwater race that has slowly been taking over and taking over the planet, and they're going to continue doing it until there is no land masses on this planet anymore. And what are your PCs that live on land and need land and know that there's family members and that their ancestors are going to need land to live on do when they figure out that there's these powerful creatures underwater that are slowly raising the level of the sea and just taking this planet over? Years ago, there was a science fiction film, and I don't remember what it was called, but there's someone discovers there's aliens among us, and the aliens can look like us, but they don't normally, and they are taking over our planet, and when he tries to stop them, uh, the alien villain says to him, you're destroying your planet, you're destroying it, you'll be gone in a hundred years, mm. you know, if we take it over, we'll fix it, and you'll, it'll still be here, so you shouldn't be fighting us. And it's that, you know, that wonderful kind of Jim Kirk thing about how yeah. you know, it's, it's my destruction. I have the right to kill myself if I want to. Don't, <laughs> you, know, don't you hire beings tell me not to do it. Um, yeah. How dare you try and save me for my own good. I, I, I have the, you know, it's, it's what makes me human that I get to be stubborn and die. Yeah. Uh, it's my pain. Uh, and I find that fascinating. The idea when, when, when you're opposing something that might have the moral high ground. Yeah. 
All right, Lou, tell us about your number two. Well, my number two is going to be interesting in light of the fact that you identified my love of James Bond because it spins <laughs> off my number three, and it's I love when you match wits with the villain in a neutral setting. I love Casino Royale. I love sitting at the table against the guy I'm going to have to kill later and and mm-hmm. being making polite but pointed conversation. You know, I love that. Sure. Mm-hmm. I know you're the bad guy. You know I'm the good guy. We're in a public setting where we can't attack each other. It's Indiana Jones where he comes to the archaeologist in the market square and they can't do anything because there's kids everywhere. I, I mentioned there's a writer named James Ng. His uh, first novel, Blood of Ambrose, where there's a dinner party chapter where three different factions are present at the dinner party and there's a, a person who has been infiltrating this castle kingdom. And they are at the dinner table along with uh, some people from a third kingdom and, and some people there. And the thing gets really, really, really taunt and, and tense. And there's a lot of verbal sparring going on. It's really amazing scene. And it's, you know, all the adventure fantasy books I read, it's fascinating to me that a dinner party conversation is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> but it, you know, it goes back to Star Trek VI where they're sitting down at dinner with the Klingons. And it just goes disastrously bad. You know, the hell do you do? You, do you like Shakespeare, Commander Kang? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you remember that scene where where Christopher Plummer trying to get Kirk to admit that he prefers a time when when they were fighting. And uh, I love those moments. I love those quiet moments when you have to talk it out with somebody that you're not going to be ta- you're going to be pummeling later. Yeah, yeah. It's that moment of like you know the minute you step out of this house you are complete enemies again and the battle might even break out then and so you have this moment where it's like well maybe we don't know if we're going to survive this so you try you have like this awkward conversation for another hour that goes longer than it should to prevent it from happening or something as a dm i love those moments too and i've had to realize that i need to find interesting ways to make those moments happen because if you just have a room with the villain steps in the room and the PCs are in the room quite often I've had it where I try to do some sort of conversation and at least one person (laughs) one player two seconds into the conversation goes I throw my axe at him I run at him I use my spell I throw fireball at him (laughs) like they're they just are like I just I'm gonna kill him I'm gonna kill him and there are usually are one or two players who are just like dude we're we're having this cool moment here and so having to create a situation like you said where it's well you can't really do that right now it's not gonna be okay for you to do that right now allows that and those can be just amazing story building moments yeah preemptively swinging a sword is always a good idea right Mitch (laughs) (laughs) yes All right. Chris, what about your number two? My number two, Mitch, you talked about airships earlier. This one involves an airship. We always talk about Pirates of the Sea, and this time it's going to be Pirates of the Airship. Maybe you are on a airship that is a ferry from one country to the other. It's the fastest way to get from one country to the other, but it requires you to fly over a mountain range. And out of this mountain range come these airship pirates because the only way that they can reach their hideout and the only way anybody can reach their hideout is by airship. And so they use their airships to hide out there and also to take over passenger flights that are up in the air and rob them for everything that they have. So that would be my number two. And then, oh, maybe you get captured and taken prisoner and they're like trying to ransom you off to, you know, they get where you live and your family members and whatnot. And your job, maybe they don't realize that they've captured four really strong adventurers for whatever reason on this ship. And your job now is to break out and figure out a way to get out. Maybe you don't even know how to control an airship at 
at all, and they've killed the pilot to the other one. So it could be an interesting experience of you trying to learn to fly an airship on the fly, I guess. <laughs> or you have to figure out a way to get down and scale the mountain or go through a tunnel that they've created that you have no idea where it leads to. So that would be an interesting, maybe short, you know, one or two night thing that happens in a much larger campaign. So I was going to say, you're describing the, one of the three best Disney cartoons ever made. <laughs> Which Treasure is ta- planet? Tailspin. <laughs> tailspin. Tailspin. Do you remember Tailspin? I don't. I've tailspin. never watched Tailspin. Actually, they took the characters from the Jungle Book and they set it in a kind of 1910, 1920s Polynesian, South Pacific, or Asian environment where you have Cape Suzette is the city and it's protected by two huge cliff walls and pilots in little bi-wing planes bring cargo in and out and Baloo the bear is the best pilot and the only independent pilot because all the pilots have to belong to the pilots guild which is run by the city which is run by Shere Khan the tiger mm. who is this kind of Lex Luthor Bond mm-hmm. villain who sits in a suit behind a uh, desk with a man-eating plant that sniffs at you yeah I totally saw a couple of episodes <laughs> He controls all the pilots except for Baloo, but he knows that Baloo is the best pilot. And sometimes they're enemies, and sometimes he has to hire Baloo. And Don Carnage is a fox who has a giant blimp on which they dock tons of biplanes. And Don Carnage preys upon all the cargo ships as they come and go Mm. from the safety of his giant fighter blimp. You know, it's it's like an aircraft carrier in the sky. And uh, it's fantastic. And it's, it's just such a great, great setup because it's entirely Sky Pirates and, and versus Pilots. That's cool. I'll have to go back and watch that. Walk the Plank is just so much more scary. <laughs> <laughs> 2,000 feet up in yeah. the air, there's, walk the plank. There's no, like, maybe I'll be able to drift to an island. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to drift to an island, but it's not going to be uh, <laughs> if, a, good, yeah. a good meeting once you meet that island. <laughs> My number two I've entitled The Madhouse. And I recently, I said this was inspired by a movie I recently watched. I recently watched this movie with Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley that was on Netflix called Stonehurst Asylum. Either of you guys see that movie? Mm Mm-mm. I really, really enjoyed it. It's about... So basically, I took inspiration from this movie, and I thought it'd be a very, very different but interesting campaign to play in a fantasy world's asylum and to have your PCs actually be patients in the asylum and to have the campaign, like you can drop hints that this is kind of what, maybe you have an NPC that's one of their friends and the patients want to overthrow the workers, the doctors and to take over and to be in charge. And this is what happens in this movie. And then they have a a person come who's a a real doctor and he meets with the quote-unquote head of the facility, but it's actually a patient who's... They they have all the doctors and everything down in the dungeon being held captive. And they explain it that they are running this place with a very new kind of style where they let the patients join them for dinner and be able to interact with one another and just walk freely in the house. And the doctor's kind of like, this is weird. I've never seen this before. And it's because it's being run by patients in actuality who are... And part of this, the movie, is that some people come off as they have nothing mentally wrong with them, but they do have something wrong with them 
And so you, you have people that are running this place that seem completely sane, but in actuality, they were patients here. And, and it gets into a lot of like how people were treated back in the day and that it wasn't right and they introduced shock therapy. But that being said, with the movie, I thought that would be a really awesome campaign. And you could even take it from a dark point of view and like expose, like especially in a fantasy world, like a medieval-ish European like fantasy world, like what would the terrible things be that these patients would have to go through? But you could also take it from a very comical point of view as well, and I'm thinking along the lines of, and it's funny because this influences my number one, but the movie movie or the book Cloud Atlas where they have that scene where the people are in a an old nursing home and they're trying to escape and it's a very comical aspect of it. But to be able to play as PCs who are patients in an asylum I think would be a very... I would very much enjoy that, and as a DM, enjoy running that. Yeah, it would be very creepy, especially if you went with the historical ways that the mentally yeah. ill were treated. Oh, yeah. And, of mm-hmm. course, in the fantasy section, somebody who has hallucinations may be seeing actual creatures, so it could be yeah. very yeah. creepy. You drop in the aspect of magic, and yeah. Yeah. that could be creepy from both sides of what's plaguing these patients or what are the treatments that they use yeah. Yeah. for patients with, with having magic as something they can use. There is an old film called The Ninth Configuration that was written by William Blatty that also wrote The Exorcist. And it's a much funnier film because it's about a non-conventional hospital that's been set up to treat people who are opting out of Vietnam by claiming that they're insane. And they suspect that the men are not insane. So they uh, they set up this weird treatment to try and catch the men. It's, every, it's Corporal Klinger from MASH as every patient in this place, you know. The soldier. Yeah, right. Except there's an astronaut who is also there and has no reason to be there because he wasn't required to be in Vietnam that they suspect sure. might really be insane. And then there's a dark secret from the psychiatrist running it. And I highly recommend it. It's called The Ninth Configuration by William Blatty. That he wrote and directed it. He's the guy that wrote the first and third Exorcist film. But it just okay. occurs to me that you could take The Ninth Configuration and The Exorcist <laughs> and just combine them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I love how you said he wrote The Exorcist and then he wrote a much funnier movie. I was like, The Exorcist was even like remotely funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid and I saw The Exorcist, it scared the well, it scared the hell out of me, didn't it? And <laughs> and as an adult, I was with a group of people who wanted to watch it, and I so didn't because I remembered it being so so scary. And it was such yeah. a liberating uh, moment when I watched it with a group of people because I laughed all the way through. And. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was wonderful to, to be like that moment in Labyrinth where I go, you have no power over me, um, <laughs> to let that go. But yeah, so... There's your David Bowie reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the ninth, good, good. But the ninth configuration was, was it's quite funny in places, but it's, it, and it's, it's cheesy. It's got Stacey Keach in it, and it's, and, you know, they end up meeting a biker gang, and it's the ultimate gross 1980s Hollywood depiction of what bikers look like. You know, they look like <laughs> they've walked out of a bad Duran Duran video. Um, <laughs> but it's so funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, things over time, and even just from our childhood, things that back, whether in childhood or just from the, like, time period that it was in, that we back then were just like, oh, that's normal. Like, I watch, like, 90s commercials now, and I'm like, wow. How did we not just laugh our butts off at every single one of these? They're so, like, obvious and trying to push the product down your throat. And, like, not to say that commercials these days aren't doing that, but it's, like, it's just blatant, and it's hilarious to me, and they're so corny. All right, Lou, we are at our number ones. We'll have another drum roll right here. 
and Lou, why don't you give us your, out of your top tens, your number one idea? Well, my number one is number one because it's so venerable. You know, it's sort of like, in, and to reference James Bond again, it's the, you know, Thunderball was the first movie ever to say, we've got a nuclear bomb and you've got to pay us millions of dollars or we're going to blow it up. And that's been done a bazillion times since, but people forget that Thunderball created that trope. So my number one is the fantasy equivalent of the nuclear bomb, which is we've got to secure and destroy the magic item, Lord of the Rings. You know, mm-hmm. there's something really, really bad that we've got to get and melt because yeah. we wouldn't have any of this stuff without that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or you have some sort of, like, god weapon that could destroy the whole world if, you know, it made its way down (laughs) here or something, and you have to find it and secure it and put it in the safest place on whatever world you're playing on. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, if it can't be destroyed, like, what do you do with it? (laughs) Well, you think of the Infinity Gems in Marvel and... There's no destroying them. So all the fruitless plans of the Illuminati forming with Professor X and Mr. Fantastic and them each taking a gem and trying to hide it, and it never quite works out that way. Well, what happens if you truly, as a DM, are going to let your players depict the story of how it happens, and all of a sudden, whatever happens, happens not in the way that you wanted it to, and it destroys your world? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do do then? (laughs) That would be an interesting uh, next campaign, I guess, if even a couple people survive. Well, Chris, that is why I've created alternate timelines. Because if, yeah, right. if you guys ever destroy my world, I can just say, well, that sucks for that timeline. <laughs> That's going to be my goal for every single campaign we play in your world oh, now. It's awesome. Just to destroy your world. So happy to hear that. <laughs> there should be an end. Just so that we finally get to a point where all of the, uh, all of the timelines are now destroyed. <laughs> Yay. Uh. <laughs> Uh, awesome that's that's a fantastic number one chris what about your number one my number one is the demon in room number three uh and and and, so specific yeah yeah uh i have this i have this story in my head of an innkeeper of a small town probably not a big town because they might have somebody that could go and take care of <laughs> Lou loves this. Lou I'm sorry. I just, I had a prices Right fix where it's like, you can have a new washer and dryer, or you can go with door number three. Three, pick number three, my lord. <laughs> and then you have a, you have this demon just pop his head out, like, oh, come to me. Wrong choice. It gives a whole new spin on the prices Right. People are no longer cheering running down the aisles. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so that is not where I was going with this demon Bob Barker behind the door number three. <laughs> ba- Balrog, ba- De- Balrog Barker. Balrog. Balrog Barker. Oh, my God. Uh, and all of the girls that walk around on the show are the Aranese walking around or succubus. <laughs> Just walk. Anyways, my idea is in this small town where somebody obviously you know, doesn't have the power to take care of the demons or whatever that come into this place. There's a portal to a plane where this demon lives. And he has started to, I kind of think like the door in Ghostbusters where, uh, the, what's the main demon's name that, uh, what is it? That they were trying to bring. Zool. Yeah. 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 So they have Zool and like, maybe it's Zool behind the door. Who's like, who has, who has struck a deal with this innkeeper that if he doesn't keep putting people into this room and, like, f- 
you know, whatever he does with them on the other side, uses them as slaves or whatever, he will end up coming and destroying the whole town. And so it's like this interesting dilemma that this innkeeper is put into where he's like, do I keep putting people through this door or, you know, what, what do I end up doing? And so it could be interesting, like your party comes in, you have a party of four and he purposely puts one of your players into room number three. And then, you know, you come out the next morning and person that went behind door number three doesn't come out and you open the door. It looks like a normal room, but you all like step through and you step into a different dimension where you now have to defeat this demon. And so people from like years past are now magically coming back after you defeat this demon and things like that. So that was my number one. I like Ooh. it. Lou, Lou um, likes it. We know. That. I like it. I, although I, 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 I made a mistake. It's not Zul. Zul is just the minion. It's Gozer the Gozerian. Gozer, yeah, yeah. Gozer is. Zul yeah, is yeah, just, that's right. Just, just Zul just, is one of the doorkeepers, yeah, right? Or yeah. the key maker or something. The, the, Zul the, is looking for the key maker. I, I, I am the. Was it Rick Moranis is the key master? So I think Zul is the doorkeeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zul, yeah, Zul is the doorkeeper. Because yeah, that's not euphemistic. <laughs> <laughs> You know, your setup reminds me of every little shop of horror Faustian story where you've got the monster, you've got mm. to keep feeding, and eventually it's going to eat you too, but as long as you keep getting it sacrifices, then you're okay for now. Then you're preventing yourself yeah. from getting eaten. Yeah. So I could change it to Price is Right Demon Door I, too. So, I like that you know. idea. I want to see that in a campaign, Chris. <laughs> yeah, you might. I will might never take door number three. <laughs> Ever. Well, I might have to. Like, well, the thing we'll is, we'll be in I'm a dungeon. Like, you're like, you see three doors, and somebody's gonna be like, we'll we'll go with the third door. No, 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 don't no. pick the third door. <laughs> Yeah, it may or may not already be in my world somewhere, <laughs> so you might run I'm up across picking, it. I'm not picking door number three. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, know right, that you've Mitch. changed it now. It's recorded. Yeah, right, so right. if it's door number two, I'm going to be angry. So now you're just now I put you in an interesting position. Are you always going to choose door I guess, number three? I guess now? I guess that's not true. Maybe in your world there's a demon behind door number three, but there's also a demon behind no, door number two and number one, and you just didn't state it here. So we're just you, you just uh, yeah. will kill us no matter what. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mitch. What is uh, what's your number one? All right, my number one I have entitled Flash from the Past. And so I have this idea of we keep talking about world building and world lore. And I thought this would be a fantastic idea for if you as a DM are creating a world that reincarnation is an actual thing and all PCs, all NPCs, they had previous lives. I thought this would be a really interesting way to introduce that to your world and not just saying, oh, everybody knows that this is the way it is. Is and this is how they believe and blah, 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 but having your PCs figure it out through perhaps your PCs are on a completely separate adventure, but along their adventure, they come across this strange runestone. <laughs> I say runestones and all of a sudden I'm just thinking about uh, Frostborn and the uh, <laughs> don't don't knock three times on this yeah, right. uh, <laughs> because it's Helltopper's Barrow. But they come across this runestone and whether they do some sort of thing, physical touch, whatever it is, kind of inspect it. And the adventurers, after touching it, maybe it starts off as dreams. Maybe then it becomes vision-like flashes that they're seeing scenes of another person's perhaps even different race's life. And what this runestone has kind of triggered in them is that they're now getting flashes and they're sort of 
starting to remember bit by bit their previous life or even lives that they have lived in this world. And I think this would be a great point to let them even see maybe PCs that they've created in the past. Maybe they're linked to another PC they've created in the past, and that was a previous life that this PC lived in. I said that Cloud Atlas influenced a little bit of my second one. Cloud Atlas was like, eh, after I thought about this, I was like, oh, Cloud Atlas. Like, you have the reincarnation and you can see the characters developing throughout their different lives and whether they ultimately choose to become you know a, a good person or a bad person or if they are always a bad person or if they kind of waver and i thought this would be a really cool way to introduce reincarnation as this is how the world works and people have different lives and to see what your PCs do when they get glimpses of previous lives that they have lived. Don't just give them glimpses. Come up with however many pre-generated characters you have players. Yeah. And when they touch the runestone, hand them each a character sheet and say, you hmm. find yourself in this body with these tools Ooh. and this equipment and role yeah. play the past. I like and that. And maybe it's a situation where the whole team was wiped out. So you come to the runestone and there's a bunch of skeletons in the room. And when they touch the runestone, they are now each of those people. And you throw them into a situation where there's completely overwhelming odds. And you're just going to keep sending waves and waves of monsters against them until they're all dead. Yeah. But they get to know how each person died because they did. And there's something, so it's not just a slaughter fest with no point. There's something in the past that they see that they will now remember so that when they find themselves in this situation again, they've got the magic ticket out of it so they don't get killed the second time. I love that. That's that just brought it to a new level for me. And maybe, made me, yeah. Oh man, I, <laughs> I want to change the lore of my world to incorporate reincarnation <laughs> now because of that. Unfortunately, we just played a campaign where we found found underworld stuff and everything, and I, I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that. But that's oh, that's so cool. I really like that idea. And just you're on a quest, but then you have a separate night where you're playing these different characters, but your PCs wake up and they remember their vision that they saw. And you can introduce things in your history of your world through mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. That's that's fantastic. Maybe they see someone's wearing something and later it's going to have yeah. significance. They have to find it again. Or, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or maybe they've already found it. Yeah, so now they know what <laughs> like it is. In, uh, now they know what it does. Yeah. Yeah. I think of in, in my favorite TV show of all time, Lost. They find these dead people, and I won't give any spoilers, but they find these dead people in this cave, and they they say, I wonder who these people were. Mm -hmm. Like, They're our very own Adam and Eve, and in like the last... The last season. Season, very last couple episodes, you find out who those people I are. I think that I, I just there. was looking that up, and I think it's episode like 14 or 15. You figure yeah, it out it's, in there. It's phenomenal. But, like, yeah, maybe early on in your campaign, you find a crypt and you don't know who these people are in it, but then you notice they're wearing a ring, and in this vision, you're wearing that ring. That'd be, oh, that's so good. I like that a lot. Good thing there's reincarnation in Pantheon, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take my idea. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why we're doing these, right? It may not already have been something I've been thinking through <laughs> for the past two and a half months. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, that was our top tens. We hope that you have loved them and have gone and been like, wow, these are just spurring ideas for campaigns I want to do and things I want to add into my world. That's why we're doing it, to help you guys think about awesome ideas that you can put into your own games and to put into your own world. So Lou, once again, thank you for coming on to the show and recording with us, 
two episodes and just being able to give up your time and lend us some of your wisdom to be able to put out there for our listeners. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute blast, and now I am very hungry. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So before you head out, Lou, can you, once again, we had it in the previous episode, but just if any of our listeners want to contact you and tell you about their world building, ask you questions, is there an email or I know you said you're pretty much everywhere, but what are some places they can get in touch with you again and some places they can check out more from you? I am all over social media. So my preferred social media platform is Facebook. I'm there as Lou Andrews. There's also a Thrones and Bones page on Facebook. I'm on Twitter as Lou Andrews. I'm on Tumblr as Thrones and Bones. I'm on Pinterest and Instagram as Lou Andrews and Thrones and Bones. I can be emailed through the contact form on louanders.com. I can be emailed at thronesandbones at gmail.com. I cannot be contacted through it, but there's a marvelous site at thronesandbones.com that the publisher built with lots of artwork and maps and goodies. And I am a very, very, very easy person to find online. And they are welcome to do so. Awesome. So go and do that. Contact Lou and reach out to him and let him know. Just even even just let him know, hey, Lou, this was a fantastic idea and I loved your top tens. Just even something like that. Just do that. And also, if you haven't read it, check out Frostborn, check out Nightborn, and be on the lookout for Skyborn that will be coming out. And definitely read those. And if you have kids, it is a high recommendation that you introduce them to your kids. So, Lou... Thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate your time. And yeah, your thank you very much, Lou. My pleasure. <laughs> All right, Lou. Say goodbye to the listeners. Bye, listeners. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Lou. Before we close out the show, let's pass it over to another DMnastics with DM Neil. Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I am Morgan Jenkins. And which I... Oh. No, that's all right. I was just going to say, which is very strange for me to be saying that on somebody else's podcast. So with me is the person that should have been introducing. I'm DM Neil, a.k.a. Joe Maniac. <laughs> hey, anybody that wants to come in the gym, they can take it over. It's totally okay with me. So for this one, as we all know, Morgan is more than willing to do another set here in the gym. He did not lift enough. So we're having him lift again. I've got the kettlebells, um, or as they've uh, they've got this little label here that says kobold bells, and I've been lifting them quite. A, it's quite a workout. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to put these down and just chat to you for a bit. Okay, I like it. You definitely purchased the 100 pounds ones that look like a gorilla heads. That's a thing. <laughs> look it up. So for this one with DMnastics number 22, desire to inspire slash make nightmare fuel. The term Nightmare Fuel came from episode number 39, Creation and Inspiration 4, Part 2, Mimic in a Bottle, and Top 10s. Still, every time I read that, I think Message in a Bottle from the police, and it just starts playing in my head. Oh, yes. No, it, except uh, with the, the word substitution. So I'm just sitting there going, Mimic in a Bottle. Oh, my gosh. Then, then I immediately think of how, how terrible that is. <laughs> Speaking of Nightmare Fuel... You're just like, oh no, I've been I've been out adventuring forever. All I could use is a nice frosty bottle of X. And then you start drinking it. <laughs> and then it I it just takes over your tongue, goes right down your throat, mimicking a bottle. Terrible. <sighs> well, we started off with that gym. So 
the idea for this forum was kind of to get the people on the forum to come up with their own ideas and kind of collaboratively make our own nightmare fuel top 10. One of mine, or the one that I came up with, essentially the adventure starts out with the very classic farmers in danger. Please come help me. Goblins, hobgoblins, orcs, kobolds, whatever you want. Kind of low-key, lower-end monster is attacking our farm. So adventure is set out, and this would probably be tailored to a little bit higher level campaign, but they go set out, and they know something's got to be up because they shouldn't just be fighting goblins or orcs. They're much more overpowered than that. Have the party roll perception, and the first one's pretty low. They look up, and there's an asteroid coming down to hit near the party. How near it is, DM discretion. But give another perception check. That's not an asteroid, that's humanoid shape. That doesn't make sense. It's gigantic. Do another perception check. What is what is that noise? It's laughter. Because essentially what is falling out of the sky is a dead god. And what's <laughs> on top of it is demons. That's the <laughs> laughter that you hear. So impact. Boom. You know, just like that cacophonous gigantic sonic wave. And then it rolls into the players, knocks them out, and they wake up. And you could kind of start a post-apocalyptic style campaign area from there. Because, like I said, you have the body of a dead god that was ridden down one with demons on its back. <laughs> so, that's my idea. That is fantastic. Yeah. It took me a while. Because I was like, I had a very vague concept. And I had posted something on the forums that I just didn't really, I wasn't happy with. So then I worked it some more, and that's kind of what I came up with, was that, oh gosh, how scary would that be? Because you're just like, oh man, these orcs have no idea what's coming. Oh no. So I believe that, Morgan, you have an idea to add nightmare fuel <laughs> to the nightmare machine. I do, and it's actually, it's from a nightmare that I had. And the nightmare that I had is a little bit different from the idea because the idea combines my nightmare with one of my favorite traps that I've ever come across. It's not my trap, but it is a favorite trap of mine. And I will explain first the trap and then I will explain the nightmare. So the trap is a room in a dungeon where the players walk through the door and they find themselves in a square room. There's a small set of stone steps leading down into this black liquid. And on the other side of the room, they see another set of stone steps, another archway, another doorway, and it's just a very simple room, one entrance, one exit, and there's a torch hanging up the top, and there is this black liquid underneath. On closer inspection, the liquid is oil, and once all the players enter the room, the trap is sprung, the doors slam shut either end, and then the torch hanging on a chain, starts to just lower slowly over time down into the oil. The trick of the trap is that the torch is an ever-burning torch and doesn't actually light the oil on fire. And all that happens is once it ticks all the way down and submerges in the oil, at the top of that chain there's a click, it retracts into the ceiling and the door's open. So all the party has to do is wait and they will be fine. However, if like my friend Nick, hashtag uh, Nick, decides to, in one of the first games that we ever played, uh, the players went a little bit crazy and they started trying to shoot arrows into the flyer, which set those arrows on fire 
and that fire could light the oil. And people tried to urinate to put the torch out, and people eventually just gave up and started trying to use a flint and tinder to set themselves on fire. It was very dark and very terrifying, and thankfully I kind of had to speed up the winch, otherwise they would have just total party killed themselves. So do be careful with this one if you're playing with a group of crazy people like I did, because... Uh, it could end the adventure quickly. But as it is, it just puts them in a claustrophobic situation that they can't escape from, except that they don't need to, they just have to wait. I'm, I'm just so happy over here. This is the best idea it's, it's, ever. Because it's one of my favourites. That's amazing. Yeah. And again, it's not mine, but it is one of my favourites. And so combining that with my nightmare, which in my nightmare, it was basically, if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, drinking from the chalice and then rapidly aging. My nightmare involved a pet of mine rapidly aging in front of my eyes and me not being able to do anything. So It's like that super sad episode of oh, Futurama the, no. where you get to watch... The one that they had to fix in the movie because everyone was so angry at them. So, And they could have just left it. They could have just left it at he had a good life, but no, they had to show us that he sat there and waited and now we're sad. And, um, and so what you can do is take that idea while the players are in this room, either individually in each their own rooms or together in this room, you have them see something from back home, someone or something precious to them, possibly on the other side of a door that they can't reach through, turning that second door from, say, stone to unbreakable glass, or just have it in the room as they're slowly going insane, have these visions appear to them of their loved one, the one that they cherish, slowly, but not too slowly, aging in front of their eyes, and then dying. And so add that terrifying, nightmare-inducing madness to what is already a really nasty trap that's just mean. And combining those oh. two things together and having the despair of loved ones dying commingling with the despair of soon you'll be dying, except you're then not, and then you're just left sitting there in a puddle of black oil wondering what to do and feeling despondent and lost. Oh. So that's my idea. The only thing I... The couple of things I could think of with that is that one... No one's going to try and detect magic on what appears to be a completely normal torch. The likelihood that they're going to figure it out super low, in my opinion. The other thing is, especially your group, that it sounds like there's going to already be bodies in the, the pool of oil. And then to add in your nightmare, I was thinking they could see those things happen in the reflections of the pool of oh, Fantastic. Oil. Almost like a, a Lord of the Rings Dead Marshes type thing. I love it. Oh, I'm going to use that trap again, except worse. If any of the players that experienced that trap happen to listen to this, I am sorry. <laughs> so for our other idea that came off of the forums and what would Morgan and I have decided will kick off our own podcast is an idea from Rorik, and it's a rotating labyrinth. Oh, it's amazing. It I I don't know where I don't know where to start because I don't know where it'll end. If I've said it, you know, we've said it every week on Diamnastics to implore the listeners to go check things out on the forums. I, I don't know what a word is that is above implore. I beg, <laughs> I guess. You have to go check this out. Like, you need to go to Rorik's post and you need to see his rotating labyrinth. It will quite literally blow your mind. It just brain matter all over the wall. It will be nightmare fuel in and of itself. 
I mean, this thing, I mean, to start with, the forums are fantastic and really dungeonmastersblog.freeforums.net if you can go to them already one of my one of my top tens from my original appearance on the podcast i got from a game i played and on the forums i found out that i'm pretty sure he was lying when he said he didn't my dungeon master lifted the idea from somewhere else i've said it going here's a really cool idea that i like from a game i played and someone's gone "Uh, actually that's from this thing over here and so just from that idea of this wealth of knowledge and community that really is fantastic on the forums get involved i have and will continue to do so i haven't set up an account yet but i i like lurking on there and reading but as far as this... Oh, don't, don't worry. You're not alone <laughs> not with what you just said. And it, it's interesting and totally cool. I mean, it's awesome that people are looking at the forums at all and people that don't want to jump all the way in, perfectly okay. But it's interesting because the forum shows you how many guests have been there in the past day. And I don't know that there's a day gone by that there aren't notably more guests than there are active users. <laughs> or even user accounts on the forum. There was one point where we almost hit over like several hundred guests, and there's only like a hundred registered users on the forum itself. And one of the other things that was fantastic about it is you also don't have to become a registered user to post. That being said, I'm planning on doing it. I strongly suggest anyone else that wants to do it, but you don't have to. Because a lot of other forums are like, no, you have to become a user to post, and that gets all bogged down in craziness. Here, you don't have to. If you really feel like you need to jump on, like I did, and say, ah, I may have taken that from a game we played, and now everything's gone strange, and I've gotten back in touch with that DM, and all the madness that ensued, and you can read about it on the forums, you can do that. You can jump on and post, and that's fine. But also, being part of this community means you get to see something like this rotating labyrinth, which is a square of graph paper with a number of circles on it, cut into it from the looks of things. And then within that circle, there are other circles and then circles that intersect with that circle. And so I don't know what the premise behind this is. I think something to do with a a wizard and a devil. You can read it on the forums. But if your players were to be on this thing, inside this thing, you would not be able to get out. It is a labyrinth of just terrifying proportions with these circles within circles that then can rotate independent of each other or together. And I would get lost. I don't know how to... I really, really want to put my players in this thing. Again, I don't know that I have had a more, a larger love-hate relationship with a picture on my screen than this one right now because it's so great, but at the same time, I can't turn it and it aggravates me to no (laughs) end that I can't manipulate this to just get a really good grasp. So the basis behind it, super fast, just to kind of, I mean, because it helps flush it out a little bit more. Wizards, as they as they do, summon a devil too great in power for them to control. Devil gets out, summons an army. Good guys stop it. Put him inside this super amazing, awesome rotating labyrinth to keep him there. And they make it so he can't summon an army. Eventually, he starts summoning things while inside this maze. Players need to go in, kill the devil. I could just, and you know, and so the kind of basis of this was nightmare fuel. I could see this being 
you're in a place that people go in and they never come back out. I mean, because they get lost, they get turned, they get turned around. They literally can get turned around. <laughs> like that is the most likely thing that will happen to them is they quite literally get turned around. Just the idea of walking down a, a corridor or you know having one of your players stop and tie their shoelaces and then stand up and everything's changed around them and they can't see anyone else and now there's a creature in front of them. It would be so fantastic and terrible. It's like, I don't know if your listeners have seen the movie Cube, which is a fantastic film. The sequels, uh, Hypercube and Cube Zero, are terrible, but the movie Cube is fantastic, and David Hewlett's in it. It's great, but it's also this fantastic labyrinthian moving prison, and but with squares instead of, well, with cubes instead of, circles and it really it brings to mind that it's that but on graph paper for D D, it's i still i don't have the words there because there are all these different corridors yeah. and rooms and you have diamond rooms and hexagonal rooms and circular rooms and some kind of main chamber but the whole thing rotates in multiple ways in multiple areas and I couldn't get out of it. I don't know where they... I, yeah, I don't even know where a person starts in this maze, but I don't... I mean, I don't care. You could start me anywhere. But like you said, you could have your player turn around, turn back, party split. Who knows what's in front of them? Where does that corridor actually lead now? The other thing that... And it's real. It's kind of a more subtle piece of the picture, but something that really stands out to me is that this has been used. And that was, that's what makes me the happiest about this picture is that you can see that this has actually been at a table. Players have actually had to go through this because the, the edges of the circles are a little bit crumpled because they've been turned and graph paper is not the strongest thing. But I think that's the thing that makes me the happiest about looking at this is that some poor players have had to like tough this guy out and try and get to that devil. <laughs> you know, there are a couple him. of smudges just on the left-hand side there that really... I'm fairly certain are just um, player tears having smudged the graph paper there. It's <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's so fantastic, and just the sheer engineering ingenuity that all of these pieces line up in such a way that if you were to then rotate these individual things, certainly the main central piece, you rotate that ninety degrees in any direction, and you keep rotating. It will, so long as it's ninety degrees, ninety degrees, ninety degrees, it lines up each time and i can't help but imagine that all of these individual circles and then the sections that interact with those circles would have the same attributes and they too would be able to rotate uh, either 180 degrees for those corner pieces or 90 degrees for the smaller ones and still be able to line up perfectly with those other corridors so it's not like you're going to rotate it and hit some kind of weird dead end that wasn't designed no this entire thing is designed to perfection and it is amazing and i want to hug it and put it on my wall you're right like i looked at it right now i really like i did a hard look and you are a hundred percent right you could rotate the entire giant middle piece and it will line up every 90 degrees perfectly uh, rory if you're listening to this come to australia bring your dming skills and your graph paper we have a place at the table for you. Yeah, I think you have a place <laughs> at any table you want. My, mine included. There, and then so I was reading a little bit more, and there also, not to make it, I mean, of course, to make it even more amazing, there are also keys inside here that you need to open doors. 
Oh, no. So you're going to, yeah. Oh, and a uh-huh. helmet that so makes the wearer aware of the motion. So you know when you're moving or not. Oh, so you wouldn't know if you were moving before then. Oh, no. Oh. oh. No. Mm-hmm. Yep. On episode two of the Rotating <laughs> Labyrinth, Morgan and I'll... Oh, my God. Oh, and there's a 3D model of it. Oh, does that move? Where? Down the bottom. Where? Uh, crowdsource results. Apparently, uh, someone in the comments has made a 3D model. Christopher Mathiau drew up a 3D model in SketchUp. Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, this is amazing. For episode three <laughs> of the Rotating Labyrinth... <laughs> Morgan and I We have built a scale model and I now live in it (gasps) I can see the 3D model This is the kind of thing that you get If you come join us on the forums Yeah, I don't I don't even Okay, at this point I feel like we're gonna go ahead And beg the listeners to head to the forums At dungeonmastersblock.freeforums.net And check this out Yeah it's you really need to. It's one of the coolest things I think I've seen in a very in a very very long time. I don't I don't know I, what I else don't. to say. I don't have the words. So just head over there and try some gymnastics. So your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, that's all that we have for you this week on the Dungeon Masters block. We want to thank Lou Anders once again for being back on this week. Uh, I I loved his tropes that he gave us over and over. And if you can't tell, he loves James Bond. That's what he grew (laughs) up on. And, you know, I love James Bond, too. We all love James Bond. Maybe we'll start a podcast (laughs) called the James Bond block or something. I I won't be on it. Uh, Yeah, right. I do uh, like Sean Connery as James Bond, but more because I just like Sean Connery. Oh, dude, come on. Like Pierce Brosnan was the best years ever oh, for James, James Bond. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you want to write to us about anything uh, related to top tens or anything just about D&D related or uh, James Bond, Mitch won't read them, but I'll read them. Nope, uh, you, can, you can email us at the dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Uh, send all of your mail there. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, if you're a huge James Bond fan, just write in there that you love James Bond and the Dungeon Masters <laughs> block talks about it. Uh, and tell us who your favorite James Bond character is. And you can also find us on Stitcher. If you. <laughs> uh, and right There's also... so many that we can't read on this family-friendly <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, so, yeah, Mitch, where else can they find us? Uh, they can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block, and they can like our Facebook page. Uh, both of those places will have a lot of Dungeons and Dragons memes, news, news about the show, and nothing James Bond related. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out is... Danny Silva. Ooh, Danny Silva. With a name like that, you would think that Danny Silva was a silver dragon. However, he's a dreaded bronze dragon, and thank you for your support. He's the dragon who is good at illusions. (laughs) Maybe he needs to change his name to Danny Bronza. I don't know. (laughs) Bronza sounds like a really bad bronzer product you would get. (laughs) Thank you so much, Danny Silva. We appreciate your support. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening once again to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at your table. 
Have a good night, everyone. Chris, you always say have a good That's night. That's my thing. That's my stick, is, man. man. That's I know my stick. Your stick is based on many lies, some truth, because we don't know when people are listening to it. Have a good have a good day. <laughs> Keep on dungeon. <dumping. laughs> That's totally gonna stay in. That's why. That's fine. Goodbye.